Good evening, everybody. I hope you are doing very well. It is the 29th of January, 2021. Still feels like a science fiction year to me, at least. And James is in motion. He is a man in motion. And so I will read the caller's question. We'll dive straight in. This may be something which we've all faced at one time or another. But this caller says, Steph, I feel like I'm drowning. My internet addiction is robbing me of the air I breathe, and I don't know what to do. My relationships are deteriorating. I lost my job, and I'm aimless. Now that I have nothing else to do, I am seriously considering either a high-dose psilocybin trip or enlisting in the military. Cognitive behavioral therapy, self-help books, and lectures by you and other intellectuals have failed to motivate me to break my porn and internet binging habits. What do you think I should do, and what have you done in the past to get yourself out of a black hole? Thank you. Name of listener. So, my friend, are you, ironically enough, on the internet to try and deal with this at the moment? <laughs> I am on the internet, still looking for questions to a problem that was caused in the same place. <laughs> the no, that's right. You, you, uh, cure. you always want to go to the drug dealer for the cure, because that's, that's just, you know, it's the way life works as a whole. So Yeah, yeah. Hopefully they have a new batch of something cooking in the background. Yeah, come in the back. I got something nice for you. <laughs> Toilet yeah, paper exactly, and coke. Yeah. <laughs> yep. All right. Absolutely. So do you want to, I guess, expand? Listen, I mean, we, we all know what an internet addiction is, and we all have our own challenges with the new world of screens eclipsing the old world of things. But uh, do you want to break it down a little more for us, help us uh, understand how it started, uh, where it's at? Um, yeah, I, c I can go about and elaborate more. Um, I, whenever I explain it to someone, because there's still a lot of people in my life that don't seem to grasp it as a real addiction um, or, or its severity, um, it all started when I was 13, when I was first given complete, unlimited, unregulated access to the internet through a handheld internet device. It was an iPod touch, so basically a microcomputer where no parental oversight, no no ability to stop or regulate time usage or, or what I was looking at. And uh, ever since then, about 13 years old, I progressed in the technology and the amount of time that I spent online uh, compoundly, like it just got worse and worse and worse and worse. And uh, recently, I, I've done tracking software on both my computer and my smartphone. When I still had a job, I was working roughly 45, 50 hours a week and clocking upwards of 40 to sometimes 60 hours of, of active online usage per week as well. So it's, it's once I usually drop those numbers to people, they start to do the math in their head and they get sort of the severity and the, the catastrophically large amount of time I spend online. Right. And of course, I'm assuming that's not all porn consumption. Otherwise, I'm sure you'd get a slow clap from certain people. But um, uh, so no, how is that? No. So some, some it, porn consumption and other stuff. So how, how does it kind of break down? Have you, have you had any luck tracking that kind of stuff? 
So yeah, yeah, the tracker actually breaks down sort of different websites. Uh, it's almost entirely YouTube videos. Uh, porn is actually a small proportion, but it's frequent enough. And then just sort of the, the porn problem in general, the lack of motivation, the, the dopamine desert that basically kills all the motivation to do anything with porn. It's important. Like, most of all the time spent on it is, is YouTube videos. So here's, here's the ironic thing, right? This is, this is the first ironic thing that I'm noticing. Mm. Is that your internet connection is shit. Is, That's the kind so, of, you're addicted to something <laughs> and you're garbling on the internet as we speak. So it's like, you should be able to push 50K a second of audio. So I know. <laughs> do you have other things going on on your internet at the moment? Uh, no, I don't. I'm actually on my cell phone's internet. Let me see if I can do this. You might want to Wi-Fi up that mofo because, uh, yeah, it's kind of annoying. My apologies. Here, let me see if going outside helps. Do you, do you not have Wi-Fi where you are? Is you doing a 45 hours no, on cell I, phone data? Yeah, kind of, yeah. It's satellite internet. All right, is this better? Can you hear me? Let's find out. Yeah, just kind of ironic because, you know, one way to control your addiction is to have a shit internet connection. <laughs> you know, that's one I way know, to right? do it. So, yeah. yeah, okay. That makes sense. All right. Okay, so YouTube videos. Okay, so without wanting to get New York Times specific on what it is that you're watching, what kind of stuff are you consuming on YouTube? I think it's fairly safe to say you're not consuming my material on YouTube anymore, but what are you watching? No, it's it's mostly like uh, comedy shows, podcasts, like just generic garbage, uh, like internet funny videos, compilations of, of TikToks and other sort of like partial comedy, partial meme type material. But it, it it's so excessive and it's so, you know, one of the things that was a problem is like I would argue deleting certain apps and whatnot. And there'd be a very small proportion of like, oh, I'd actually listen to a, a, something important, something that's teaching me something, you know, something informational so I can't completely delete it. And then 99% of the time, it's just a bunch of basically comedic, funny YouTube garbage. Are you a Joe Rogan guy? Because, man, that stuff can suck up time with giving you virtually nothing in return. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Joe Rogan and a lot of other, like, arguably entertaining but not very substantial or much substance i mean joe rogan has some cool guests on for sure but yeah. you know over the years i've talked to a couple of people oh i'm totally into joe rogan and just out of curiosity i'd say okay you know what what actionable stuff what practical stuff have you learned from joe rogan that you use in 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 your life right and people listen to my show they can get actionable stuff that they can actually use in their life doesn't mean they have to but they're certainly there if they want it and I get all of these emails and messages of like, oh, your show changed my life. It's this great stuff, right? I think Jordan Peterson, other people have that kind of approach where it's like, okay, here's some actionable stuff that you can do in your life. But the people I know who are oh, total Joe Rogan fans or other people like that, uh, you know, the Ben Shapiro people, even the Tim Pool people and so on, you can ask them and you know, don't take my word for it. Ask them yourself and say, okay, what, uh, what actionable, valuable things have you gotten from this show that you can do in your life? And the answer is uh, a, a long, glassy-eyed pause, you know, <laughs> that thousand-yard right, stare yeah. of the eternal sniper, right? 
I felt yeah. like I was learning something at the time, but as it turns out, uh, it didn't give me shit I could use. Yeah. Yeah, there's always, you have to fall back on like uh, who's who's willing to take the action. You know, you can listen to gold all day and not, not take advantage of it, not make a, make a step to do anything about it. But yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. It's, there's a lot of stuff that I listen to that, you know, you could say that it could be useful, but I'm just not taking advantage or definitely not listening to the right stuff. Right. Okay. Okay. So you said it started at 13, but I assume it wasn't like, at 13 was like um, funny videos, that kind of stuff. And it just kind of, uh, and just give me your age range. I don't need your exact age, of course, but just roughly how old are you now? Early 20s. Right. And listen, you don't have to explain the iPod Touch to me. The iPod Touch was the first, like, handheld digital device that I had outside of, I guess I had an old, oh gosh, um, a Vision M, but that wasn't even connected to the internet. You had to upload things over a cable. Uh, that was yeah. an old, uh, uh, you know, the one, uh, Zen Vision M. I've always liked the uh, the Zen, Zen players. But anyway, so... Mm. When my daughter was very young, I didn't want to have to go upstairs every now and then to check my email. So I just thought, okay, let me get some internet device. I didn't have cell phones were really primitive back then, but I got an iPod Touch like 1.0 before it even had a camera or anything like that. <laughs> and yeah, yeah it's, it's, it was a cool little device. I get to just leave it around and and I'd be able to check email without leaving my daughter because she was very young, so we couldn't leave her alone. Uh, and uh, it was actually it was a handy handy little device, and I could sort of go back. My my very first audio player was called the Rio Five Hundred, with a staggering mm -hmm. sixty four megs of uh, of memory. Baby, that was something <laughs> wow, else, man. If, such bandwidth. If you, if you, I remember going going to the UK to finish a novel. Uh, I was on a plane and I met a literary agent, and she agreed to read one of my novels. She read one of my novels. She said, "I love it. I think the ending needs some work." She gave me some notes, and the novel was set in the British countryside. So. I took some time off work. I went out and rented a cottage in the middle of nowhere. And there was no internet, no nothing like that. I ended up, for some reason, this is the only time that ever happened in my life, I ended up only being able to write by hand, like literally a like, pencil on paper. For some reason, it just was not working for me to type, uh, which is kind of the way that I normally write. And, and for this one, maybe because it was a, such a primitive story, um, like it's not primitive, but it was a story set in the 18th century. I could only finish it by writing out by hand. And I used to go for these long, long walks. And in my Rio 500, I was listening to audiobooks at 8K <laughs> per second. <laughs> so it was like an AM beach radio uh, about yeah. the other side of an airplane hangar. That was the the quality. But that's the only way I could get audiobooks on because otherwise I'd get like an hour of an audiobook. And of course, I wanted... Uh, lots of hours for audiobooks. I listen to Great Expectations by the things in, in like, they're Charles Dickens' story. <laughs> just sounds pretty yeah, terrible. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, that was sort of back in the day for me. So, yeah, I know that kind of stuff. But I was amazingly productive without the internet, of course, which was which was great. Sorry, there's a total yeah. side sidebar. But, no, um, no, it, it's interesting. Like, handwriting out the finishing of a novel, it's almost like that version of method acting for a writer, you know, just kind of yeah. like embracing the full the full picture of the context of the story you're writing. I, it, this this book has some great lines. It's, it might be the next one I read as an audiobook. Uh, in, mm -hmm. in it, I say there was a, a a woman, the oldest woman in the village, whose name was Eve. It was almost inescapable <laughs> that her husband's name had been Adam. 
<laughs> just good, really good little jokes. Good little jokes in there. But anyway. I like it. So, okay. So you kind of plunged in at the age of 13 to this iPod mm-hmm. touch. And would you say that it ramped up pretty quickly to dozens of hours a week on the iPod touch? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Because it, yeah, I emphasize the fact of unregulated because we had computers in our house uh, when I was very young. My dad was sort of techie and uh, in the tech business. And so he had computers like set up around the house, but they were all like password and time protected. So you couldn't get to certain things and you could only spend a certain amount of time on them. Uh, And this iPod touch was like the first time where I had no parental oversight, no time limits uh, at all. And uh, somehow, well, not somehow, I know why, but my parents didn't notice that I was spending so much time on this device. Okay, so, I mean, that's, that's the key thing, and you're a wise enough listener to this show or just a wise enough person in general to know exactly what all this reveals about your family, right? Yeah, yeah, it's a so go-away let's, device, let's... leave me alone. Well... Uh, I, when, it's funny, when you first said throwaway device, do you know who I thought you were talking about? What, me? <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, because listen, I mean, so 13, you're going through puberty, or maybe you've just recently gone through puberty and so on. Mm-hmm. And let's just say you're getting tennis elbow and uh, a pretty strong left arm or, or right <laughs> arm, depending on whether you want to visit a foreign country. And <laughs> so now that's exactly the time when... Your parents need to monitor what the hell you're doing, right? And yeah, that's the absolutely. time when they just kind of threw you to the digital wolves, and your father, of course, had no excuse. I'm guessing that the the website limits they obviously weren't at the at the uh, router level, right? I mean, they were device specific. I don't know if you had routers back then that could say no adult content, or you can't go to these sites, or no searches for these kinds of things. But I guess your iPod Touch was not, as you say, not restricted, and it wasn't at the router level, so you could basically go and do anything you want. You could go visit the kind of German porn sites that makes cannibals (laughs) nauseous, right? Absolutely, yeah. No, it was software-specific, like McAfee-type software protection, so it was device-specific. So So what the hell was going on? What what was going on in your parents' lives that they're Um, just like, yeah, it's 13, man, we're totally done. Wolves will raise him from here. What was going on in their lives? Well, I can't know specifically, but I can tell you what I was witnessing. Uh, I think that's probably the most accurate I can get is Okay, for the rest of this conversation, let's assume that when I ask you a question, it's based upon your direct perceptions, not the possibility (laughs) of inhabiting other people's bodies, okay? Yeah, I think no, that's a given I, yeah. that you. I'm asking you for your perspective, not. Well, I did not possess my father in a satanic fashion, so I can. Okay, let's just go with that as a given. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you what my experience was. Uh, fighting, incompatibility, lots of fighting. Um, it, uh, a huge, huge disconnect between like what they both desired uh, out of each other's responsibilities. My mom would constantly. Uh, tell my father that he wasn't making enough and to work more and to work harder. And then when he would commit completely into his career, she would complain about him not being available. You're emotionally Um, unavailable. Yeah. 
It's like, but make more money, and then when you work harder and longer to make more money, you're not there for me. Um, I need more money. Would... You never help around the house. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I think, I, secretly, I think she always wanted me to be uh, completely addicted to something so that I would completely leave her alone. You know, when I didn't have something, I was quite a pain in the butt uh, as a child among my siblings. Wait, I, what I do you mean, most... why? I needed the most help with schooling and other parental oversight. I got into a lot of problems. I was suspended a lot. I, uh, I needed a lot of, of parental oversight, uh, more than my other siblings from my perspective. And I think there was almost like alleviation. She seemed relieved that I was finally like completely in some sense, like out of her hair because of how much time I was spending on this device. Okay, so let's back up a little bit with regards to uh, siblings. Who do you have for siblings? I have an older brother and older sister. Uh, is it significantly older? Uh, five years with the brother and then two, three years with the sister. Okay, and what was going on for you at school? And when did that start? Um kindergarten uh i was aggressive i got in a fight uh with a friend uh was i think suspended then and then uh i got hurt a lot i've breaking broken bones uh got stitches all the time um and then finally fifth grade um i ended up teaching a bunch of the local kids how to run a command prompt on their computers so they could like get into administrative access and change their grades on the local computers. And then everyone ganged up and blamed it on me. And then I was suspended just because I didn't do it. I never changed my grade. I just showed them how to do it their way. But apparently they all lied and blamed it on me. And that was the first time I got suspended was fifth grade. And then sixth, seventh grade, more suspensions, sort of problems with teachers not learning. Throughout all this, I was barely passing. Uh, we don't hold now let's let's just rewind a second here. i i will bookmark sort of where you are because yeah. you gave me a wee bit of a sob story there well i simply told the children and showed them in great detail how to change their grades but i was in no way responsible for them changing their come on come i understand on, you know you and i you know this is past i'm not your principal i'm not your mom but i mean <laughs> i'm sorry let me laugh like if you heard a kid say that yeah. you know like somehow they all ended up blaming me for giving them the power to change their grade. I mean, I get they did it. That's true. But, you know, you showed them, and you're a smart guy. So you knew that showing kids how to change their grades would probably blow back pretty hard, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a problem. There's still a piece of me upset that I got caught for it. So frustrating to realize. Well, but you were going to get caught, right? Absolutely, so, no, but this is confusing because you say, well, I'm frustrated that I got caught, but it was absolutely guaranteed that you were going to get caught because somebody was going to figure out that the grades were changed, right? And then mm -hmm. they were going to question the kid. And it's not like the kid would say, I'm never giving up my source. and be like, hey, it's him, right? <laughs> I mean, he, yeah. show, he told me how to do it. He showed me how to do it, right? Yeah. So what you did there was something that was guaranteed to get you in trouble and that you kind of tried to play a little bit of the victim there with me, right? I did, yes. Now, as far as the ethics you, of changing <laughs> grades and all of that, we'll put that aside. But just taking the normie perspective, 
it's uh you know like you, you've watched these funny videos right on mm-hmm. on uh the internet and a lot of times it's like you know this guy his his uh his uh his firework wasn't working so he looked down the tube and you're like well come on man <laughs> are you going to blame the firework manufacturer for that so you no. taught kids incredibly i mean from the position of the teachers right incredibly disruptive and destructive stuff causing them to have to change their policies and update their IT software and a lot of hassle a lot of problems and you know someone's going to have to take the fall for that right mhm yeah tell me yeah, about the fights good. and the injuries a little more if you could uh the injuries were usually like self-inflicted just me being like rambunctious and dumb and like falling off stuff and like getting hurt uh but the fights were just like imposing street playground rules of kids who wouldn't know how to play or just kind of dumb kid stuff i guess i don't wait i don't understand that what do you mean Imposing well, playground you'd be rules? Playing, what, what do you mean? You're playing a game, right? And everyone agrees or partially agrees on what a rule is in a playground when you're in kindergarten and, and someone doesn't play by the rules. And so you take it upon yourself, myself, to sort of enforce the rules for kids who weren't playing by the rules. So you both were a rule enforcer and mm-hmm. a massive rule breaker, right? Because yeah. The rules are don't yeah, change your scores, don't change your marks in the school computer, right? So, hey, man, you got to play by the rules. Hey, here's how to break the rules completely. Yeah. I mean, I never changed my grades, but kind of doesn't matter, does it? No, it really doesn't. Because you were, you were an agent of disruption there, right? And also yeah. an agent of self-destruction because it was pretty guaranteed that you were going to get nabbed for that, right? Yeah, for sure. So, in talking about your injuries as you being rambunctious, I'm going to invite you down a couple of layers here, mm-hmm. because you're a, in this conversation, you're a bit of a surface guy, and of course, if you wanted to call up for a surface conversation, you should, certainly wouldn't be calling me, right? I assume you've listened to right. a bunch of these call-in shows, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. If you repetitively get injured, it's because someone wants you hurt. I would give you that straight up. People aren't clumsy. People are laboring under a particular kind of hatred. In other words, I would assume that there was someone in your life who significantly disliked you, and you were acting out that person's dislike by harming yourself to appease them. Hmm. You know, interestingly enough, there's a certain memory that pops up um, in close, I hope, relative context to that. I remember in, in around that grade, sixth, seventh grade, I had broken my arm while playing soccer. And my mother did not notice that it was broken for about two weeks. And, you know, she always told everyone, yeah, she always told everyone I had a really high pain tolerance, quote unquote pain tolerance. Uh, and I kept complaining about my arm being like hurt. Like it definitely hurts. This hurts a lot. Can we do something about it? And uh, nothing happened for about two weeks. And then we went to the hospital and it was broken. Like my wrist. Oh, wait, wait, broken. hang on. So you, you fell on your arm or you, you twisted your arm or something. Yeah. And what did your, and, and so you, you, you're in significant pain, right? But you know, it could be a bit of a sprain, but even then, even a hairline fracture, right. you need to go and have it looked at, right? 
Mm-hmm. And so you go home, you say, this hurts, and it continues to hurt. It throbs, it keeps you up at night, and, and it's not improving in the way that it should if it's just a little sprain or something. And you say to your mom, yeah. this really hurts. And she says, it's fine, or? She says something along the lines of, you have a high pain tolerance, like, I don't know. Hang on a she sec. She used this hang line, on, no, no, no. like. No. Yeah. no, hang on. If she says you have a high pain tolerance, then she should take you to the hospital immediately. Immediately. Right. Do you know why? I'm saying something. Yeah, because yeah, you're saying if, she, if you have a really high pain tolerance and, and you're saying to your mom, this really kills, then like saying you have a high pain tolerance is the exact opposite of don't do anything. Yeah, that's usually her excuse. It would say like, oh, why did it take so long for you to notice? It's like, oh, he has a high pain tolerance. So once he finally said something, I knew it was time to go, but it was already longer than what I assumed a normal amount of time to figure out you'd broken something. Okay, so you're not being taught elemental self-care. Yeah. And listen, I understand this, and I'm, you know, I'm not, obviously not trying to swap you and me in and out of this story. But when I look back when I was younger, the number of things I just sort of tried to walk off or the number of th- like just basic, not basic self-care stuff that happened, it's, uh, it's pretty appalling. It's pretty appalling. And you're just not taught that basic self-care that you need. And there's a reason for that, right? And the reason for that is that somebody dislikes you enough to want you hurt. And you're just kind of complying with that. I mean, if you have, (laughs) I mean, this is what's so strange, right? If you have, I mean, I'm putting myself in the shoes of the doctor here, right? You, uh, the mom comes in with the son and says, you know, he's kind of been complaining about his arm for a couple of weeks, but eh, I didn't really do anything about it, didn't really care. I was busy, you know, the younger the restless was on and I didn't really want to get off the couch. And then the doctor looks at your arm and says, holy shit, maybe not holy shit, holy crap, (laughs) this arm has been broken for two weeks. Do you know what his next call should be? Child Protective Services? Yeah, fucking cops, right? Right? Because this is a mother who has let a son, I mean, you were, I mean, assuming it didn't give you any lasting deformity, so to speak, but this could have been a very, very serious thing. Yeah, yeah. Luckily, I uh, I skated out with two, at least not, you know, permanent damage, permanent deformities. My wrist still works. Right, and I assume, of course, that no such call was made. The police didn't come by. Nobody evaluated what the hell was going on in your household. That your mom and your dad didn't take you to the doctor when you had a broken arm for two weeks. Yeah. Nothing like that happened. And what did your nope. dad say about all of this? I can't remember him saying anything about it. You know, it was actually only a year after, like, more severely breaking the same arm. I had fallen off a slide and actually snapped both of the bones in that left arm. And then this was just a, a wrist, like a fracture, hairline fracture. So I don't. I don't have any Wait, specific sorry, memories. Sorry, the, the one you were just talking about where you said you broke your arm, that was a wrist fracture? That was a wrist fracture, and the other two was, was two like actual snap that we did go to the hospital immediately for. And I don't remember him saying anything after 
The okay, hang on a sec. One. Hang on a sec. Okay, back the hell up. So you said that you your arm was broken, but now you're saying it was a wrist fracture. My arm was broken from an injury a year prior, and that broke my arm. And then this one, I no, no, think no, no. I hang was hang on, the two-week thing. Hang on. The, the, I'm, yeah, I'm not mad at you. I'm just, was... I'm just trying to sort of figure things out, right? So you said that for two weeks you were complaining that your arm hurt, and you said your arm was broken. And then I think you just said it was a wrist fracture. I believe it was a wrist fracture. I don't think I remembered the break properly. I think the injury itself was less severe than what I was remembered. No, and listen, I'm, I'm not uh, what I'm. So what you're trying to do is you're trying to, in a sense, shock me into broken arm. Now, a wrist fracture is still pretty serious, right? And, and obviously, your mom should have had you should have had that looked at. But it's not quite the same as a broken arm in terms yeah. of parental emergency systems, right? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Okay. Okay. No, again, I'm not, I'm not criticizing. I just sort of want to point out because I think what you're trying to do is I think that people have not given you sympathy for whatever hostility your parents may have had towards you. And so if you kind of exaggerate a little bit their lack of care and concern, you probably get a reaction that is closer in line to your emotional experience, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And this is okay. why I like to, I wanted to call in because you're just so good at cutting through bullshit. Well, I, I would say, you know, cry for understanding probably more than bullshit, but okay. I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not yeah, going to, no, well, I don't know. Yeah. You, you're, I'm getting what I wanted when I called in, when I was expecting. Uh, were there any other examples that, that sort of pop into your mind about a lack of, of care from your parents? Uh, one of mine, believe it or not, just to share this sort of, my side is, uh, um, was body odor. When I was, uh, you know, when you're a kid, you never smell, really, right? I mean, you have to really work hard to smell as a kid. You know, once you go through puberty and you get your funky male parts and so on, a friend of mine's father actually had to take me aside and say, you know, you're going to kind of need to wear some deodorant. I hate to tell you, but, you know, he's kind of, you know, he didn't say you're kind of stinking up the place. He was a bit much more civilized and much more polite about it, but that basically was the place. And, you know, it wasn't like his eyes were watering or anything like that and plants were dying when I walked past. But that's kind of the basic lack of self-care that occurs when you're in a chaotic or uh, abusive or dysfunctional household that, you know, people have to say to you, you have to wear some deodorant. Of course, I couldn't smell myself because you really do smell yourself unless you go straight up in the armpits. But um, right. that's sort of an example of just a basic lack of, of self-care that my mother didn't say, okay, well, now that you're going through puberty, you need to make sure you wear some deodorant, you need to make sure this, that, and the other. And, and I mean, she barely kept my clothes clean. You know, I remember, I remember going on a date with a girl that I picked up in a swimming pool and uh, there were holes in my pants and I, I had to sort of sit on the bus and strategically put my fingers on my, <laughs> my pants. I just didn't love to cover up the holes because, you know, I had that... Uh, Beverly Hillbillies vibe going on there, right? And so just, yeah. yeah, just basic lack of of care. And I went through a phase, maybe a year or so, where I was just itchy all the time. And then I think somebody said, uh, somebody's mom said, oh, you should, you know, maybe your skin's really dry. You should use some lotion. And oh, thank, thankfully that solved the problem. But, you know, just a basic lack of elementary feedback on what it is to be, have basics of, of self-care. 
And that's something I've had to really work on over the course of my life is to notice and deal with things before they become uh, a problem just because, you know, and again, I'm not trying to confuse our sort of, I'm not going to confuse you with this, but I just want to say like as far as not being taught basic self-care to the point where like if you're continually getting injured, it's really important for your parents to sit down and say, okay, let's step through your judgment process. Let's figure out what's uh, going on or my wife's mantra, safety first, safety first. And Mm -hmm. that, that wasn't occurring as far as I can tell. Yeah, I, you know, I can't specifically remember any conversations where I was like sat down and sort of taught any of those things, sort of deodorant, shaving, like proper hydration, even, you know, uh, how to, how to make a, a meal for yourself when, when your parents weren't available, or your mom wasn't available, uh, anything like that. So, yeah, I'm sorry about that, man. Uh, even the shaving thing, right? It's, uh, I mean, yeah. you had a dad in the I didn't have a dad in the house. I had to learn how to shave. I, I found an old magazine in the library, a life magazine from like the 1960s, which had, um, ex- uh, how to shave. And, um, mm-hmm. I mean, you, but you had a dad in the house. I mean, we, yeah. What, what the hell was he doing? You know, the, ironically, the he was on the internet all the time. Us, Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, he was on the internet all the time. He was on his computer. Um, you know, one of the things that might be true for my analysis of my behavior as a kid is I was alone to the point that I would intentionally instigate anger from my father in order to get any attention at all. Right. Because right. none was worse than, like, focused, I'm paying attention to you, yet I'm just mad at you. Right. And we know that negative experiences are better than nothing from self-cutting, right? People right. who cut themselves. Uh, and, and your form of self-cutting may have been, quote, accidental injuries, right? Because then at least that got you some parental attention, right? Some, or teacher's yeah. attention or something, right? And so we know that people prefer negative experiences to no experience at all, to numbness. Because numbness is death. Negative experience, yeah. at least you know you're alive. Right. So, so what so would you do with your dad? What would you, how would you rouse him with that? Oh, he would just be working on his computer and I would continuously bug him and pester him and mess with him and like throw things at him until he would be so livid. He would get up from his desk, his, from his computer and, uh, I don't know, retaliate or scream or yell or chase me down. Right. This is about 14. So about a year after. Really now, when you were little, into... younger than that, was he on the computer a lot or, or distracted a lot? Could be TV, could be magazines, books, like just not with you, not, yeah. not paying attention. Yeah, one of the earliest and largest fights I remember from my parents was my mom threw away some of his magazines that he was going to read at some point. And so, yeah, he was very much consumed with, with media, as well as she was. He was more of a TV watcher. He was more of an internet magazine newspaper guy. Right. It's so sad, man. It's just so fundamentally sad that... I mean, it, it's, an, it's, an, it's an old anger that I have. So, again, take that for what it is. It may not match your experience completely, but... Mm-hmm. You know, your dad is like, you know what's really important? These magazines. How about your kids? No. These magazines 
are what's important. And yet if you were to, you know, let's say he's having a birthday and you would send him a stack of magazines and say, here, Dad, you can sit these across from the table because they matter to you more than your children, he'd probably be livid, right? Yeah. Yeah, and that's, that's crazy. The it's like you, you, yeah. You question Sorry, their value system. You're like, what what are you valuing? What is it about these things that you seem to value more than a relationship with your kids or me? Right. Right. I mean, what, my it, mom what is does old this internet enough. provide? Yeah. My mom is old and lonely, right? And isolated and God knows she needs a lot of support, I imagine, at the moment, because she's a hypochondriac in the middle of a pandemic. Just about the worst thing that could possibly uh, occur, and something from communism might end up inside her body, I believe, not for the first time, uh, because I think she was assaulted by communists as a child. But um, but here's the thing, right? So so she would regularly, you know, she'd have these dates. She'd, she'd have little ads in newspapers sort of back in the day. You didn't have internet dating, but you had to put an ad in a newspaper, and she'd meet these guys, and they'd invite her to go visit. I remember once she went down, she went down to Houston for two weeks. <laughs> I was 12, and she left me alone. Wow. Like I was 12 years old. She left me alone for two weeks, and she left me 30 bucks. Yeah, yeah you'll figure it out. Yeah, good luck. Yeah, good luck, sure. Kid. You got two kidneys, just sell one. I mean, what's what's the big deal, right? Yeah, and yeah, there was, I mean, <laughs> I, I ran out of food after a couple of days and uh, I just, I had to hang around my friends' places around dinner time, just hoping, just hoping they'd say, hey, why don't you stay for dinner, right? I'd just be hanging around. Sometimes they did. Sometimes they said, you better run on home. And it'd be like, okay, <laughs> I'll go home. Right. And you'd be hungry. And then, you know. Maybe you fail a test because you, you're so hungry and then you get consequences, right? So anyway, I mean, the, the point of that, you know, semi-tragic story is that you, these guys who she was constantly trying to attach to, right, because she was getting older and she wanted to, Blanche du Bois-Tard, she wanted to lock a man down and, and have him, you know, either marry her or marry her so she could divorce him and take his money or whatever was, was going on in that belfry she called a brain. And... She was not paying much attention to me because she was on the prowl, right? She was she was on the hunt. I need a man. You know, that Annie Lennox song was like her thing, right? And to me, it's like, okay, hey, you know, you want you want company. I mean, you got dozens of boyfriends you can call. You know, maybe you remember the name of that guy in Houston and, and you can just give him a shout, right? Give him a call. I'm sure he'll be happy to drop whatever he's doing and come and take care of you. Now you're very, very old. Right. Right? So she, she's got, you know, the boyfriends, the, the men, they were always more important. So, you know, she's, she's, she's a hoarder. She's, she's kept all the paperwork. She's got their names. She probably has their numbers. I'm sure those numbers have changed, but you can find people pretty easily on the internet now. So she can just, uh, she can call. You can call the guy in Houston. And she can say, hey, do, do you remember me from like, Maybe 42, 43 years ago, I came out for two weeks in in Houston. Well, I wonder, you know, uh, if you could just come over and, and, you know, help take care of me and maybe I could use a little bit of money and, and uh, I could use some, some, some conversation and, and so on. 
And the right. guy would be like, wait, the what now? <laughs> I barely remember you. Why on earth are you calling me? Call your kids. Like, right. oh, uh, that's About not that. really going to work out, right? Because, you know, I, I'm just like, I, I just, I, all I do, I respect people's priorities, man. I respect their priorities. And I'm talking about you, obviously, in this situation as well, right? I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just telling you my particular perspective on these things. I respect my mom's priorities. I respect my mom's priorities. So she regularly abandoned me to go chase after men. So these men were more important than me. I respect that priority, man. I don't agree with that. I think it's a bad priority. I respect, I, I will not interfere with that priority. So because these men were more important than me, and I know this not just in terms of her going to Houston or Vancouver once or just other places, right? And I know what these guys were flying her out for, and I know that they had no intention of marrying her. I get all of that, right? She was just a fling, right? I mean, I get all of that, right? But... She'd be like screaming at me, purple-faced, right? Top of her lungs, crazy batshit stuff, right? And then the phone would ring. You ever see this? I'm sure you saw this with your parents screaming at each other, right? So my mom would be screaming at me over some bullshit, right? And then the phone would ring. And have you ever you've seen this like complete night and day thing that goes on with people? Absolutely, She'd be yeah. screaming at me. You'd think she's completely lost her mind. The phone would ring. Hi! Right. It's so good to hear Flip from you. How, how? Oh, it's great to hear from you. How are you? You know, like holy, like holy whiplash, man. That is freaky it's like stuff. A, the biggest spit in the face because it it shows so so like concretely how they can behave towards someone. It's like you don't have to behave that way towards me when you don't want to. You're choosing. Yeah, she's to not. Treat she was never out way. of control. She was never out of control because the yeah. moment, the moment someone came along, she'd be all sugar and spice, right? She'd yeah, be all like, like worse wouldn't than melt someone in her mouth. who has like, yeah, like, oh, I have an anger issue. I can't control myself or whatever. You're uncontrolled versus like, no, I have complete ability to behave the way I'd like to either butter or not butter oh. or fire. And it's like, I choose to treat you like literal swine. I mean, I'm starting to laugh, but I mean, I would have respected her a million times more. If she's screaming at me, the phone rings, she picks up the phone and says, shut the fuck up, I'm screaming at my kid, rips the phone out of the wall and throws it over the balcony. I'd be like, okay, you are a pure life form. Yeah. You are, you have integrity. (laughs) You are not kidding. You are not fooling. But this complete 180 of like, oh, hi. Like, ah. That is, that is completely, it's completely bewildering as a child because you think they're out of control. And then you see them immediately assume perfect control and be sweet as sugar to someone else. And it's like, okay, so you treated me like shit, but these guys got your gold. These guys got your best behavior. Okay, well then, now you're old and lonely, give them a call. I mean, right. you burnt these bridges, but you know, you were really nice to these men. So, you know, good luck getting all the comfort you need in your old age. From them, because they mm-hmm. mattered to you. They meant something to you. You cared about them. Me? Nah. Could treat me like crap. But them? They, they got your best side, so I, I respect. You know, I've said told this story before about how she beat me. Felt like half to death at the time because I left a little white ring on a night table. 
or a little dresser or something like that. Because, you know, I put a cup down. I was playing with a friend. I put a cup of water down, left that little white ring. And the white ring faded. didn't matter at all, but she just was completely freaked out and beat me half to death, it felt like. And so the, the little dresser, that mattered to her. I was just a punching bag, but that little dresser mattered to her. And now she still has that little dresser. It's still by her bed. And now she can look at that little dresser that can keep her comfort in her old age because that was her priority, right? I respect the priorities, man. I respect I love the that perspective. I really do love that perspective where you're almost like stoically indifferent to other people's value systems as like your ability to change them. You're aware of them. You don't condone them if you don't agree with them, but you're like, you're like, okay, that's what you think is valuable. What am I going to do about it? Like, I don't agree. I don't man. like it. Yeah. I'm an empiricist. I, I know exactly what my mother and my late father, I know exactly what they chose over me. Mm-hmm. So they should have that. I'm not, I look, I'm not going to go and, and take that little dresser away from my mom at all. I'm not going to go through her papers and, and find the names and addresses of these guys from long ago. I'm not going to take any, that, that's her value. That's what she wanted. She chose to indulge her temper. She would scream at me. She would hit at me. And she really, really defended the dresser and attacked me. And she was really nice to these guys and brutal towards me. So I'm not indifferent to it. I'm not. I'm not indifferent to it at all. It's just, you know, you take what you, this is what the market is, the free market. You take what you want and you pay for it. Nothing is free. Nothing is, I don't subsidize. Right. I don't subsidize anyone or anything. In other words, I don't believe in government subsidies. I don't believe in protectionist tariffs. I don't believe in exclusionary licenses because I don't subsidize. And my mother very clearly told me what was important to her. Strange men in cabinetry. <laughs> I know that sounds kind of funny. <laughs> I mean, it's so long ago now. It's not like I'm seething with rage about it. But yeah. what was important to her were distant dicks and cabinetry. Carpentry and rhymes with rocks, <laughs> right? She's right, still my yeah. mom, so, <laughs> right? So that's, you know, I guess various forms of wood. <laughs> well, well, this is dark comedy, man, but, you know, it's still kind of funny to me, right? So various forms of wood, <laughs> lacquered or not, were what my mom prioritized. She was like a dryad. Oh, there's a there's an old joke. So I, I'm not like I'm not going to interfere with that. I'm not going to pretend those weren't her priorities. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to interfere with that. I'm not going to pretend that that wasn't the. I'm not going to subsidize it. I'm not going to take those things away from her because that's what she wanted. Now she may look, and you're, the reason we talked about this, of course, talking about this is because of your dad, right? So your dad was like, mm-hmm. I've really got to read this magazine article. Okay? Yeah. Okay, so so that's what he cared about. Now, you don't, I'm not, I'm not saying be indifferent to it because it's your dad and it's you and it matters, right? Mm-hmm. But being an empiricist means you don't put your wish list on top of reality, right? Being an empiricist is you got a weird lump, Get that shit biopsied and find out what the hell it is, right? You're a young man. You don't know what the hell I'm talking about, right? But the older guys are like, hey, you got some weird skin lump? Go get that shit biopsied and find out what the hell it is, right? Yeah. So, But you don't just sit there and wish and hope, right? You're an empiricist. 
And if it comes yeah. back nothing, fantastic. If it comes back something, you got to go get it scraped and you got to get a skin graft, maybe, or whatever it is, if it's cancer or something. So you got to. You just be an empiricist. An empiricist is, okay, for 20 years, your parents have told you what they value. And all you have to do is listen to it and accept it. And it hurts, right? Yep. It, I'm not saying be like some weird, like not feeling person about it. It hurts. But it's the truth. It's the truth. My mom valued just about, my mom valued strangers above me. Because, you know, she might be snarling and pulling me along. But then the moment if we got to the restaurant and there was a waiter, she'd be super sweet with the waiter. I remember she was snarling at me about some stupid bullshit. And then she, we were at this pretty trashy restaurant in the old Don Mills Mall before it was torn down. And she really liked the fish. She got fish and chips, right? She really liked the fish. And she says, I want to see the chef. And I remember this, this dark-haired, tall, slightly chubby guy came out, like, bewildered, like, he spent three days in chef school or something, and he probably just pulled something <laughs> out of a freezer and fried it up in some leftover McDonald's oil or something that they found in the parking lot. And right, she's like, this yeah. fish is wonderful. I, I wish to praise you for your culinary skills. And she was like lighthearted and charming and funny. And this was like five minutes before. She'd been yanking me along in the parking lot, enraged about some stupid thing that neither of us could probably remember if you paid us a million dollars to try it, right? So right. some some strange chef she's never going to meet again. And you understand, you know, right? That's part of the humiliation. I can be nice to everyone except you. That's part of the sadism, right? I will I, yeah, I, I put on... part. Well, it is. But in a sense, it's the best part because it's yeah. so liberating. Hmm. Because it's like, okay, if, if everyone gets your good behavior except me, that takes me completely off the hook as far as taking care of you in your old age, because everyone can take care of you now. Everyone else. Because right. you said everyone else matters more to you than me. So great. The rest of the world, you know, and I used to get, you know, when we had this old community server, people used to bitch at me from time to time, well, you really should take care of your mother. She's lonely. She's like, I'm like, hey, man, I'll give you her number. There's yeah, go for it. You. <laughs> yeah, like, the, I trust you. Yeah. She'll be nicer to you than she is to me. Yeah. So there's nothing stop like so my mom is like everyone else matters more than you and it's like okay I accept that. I accept that. I really do. I accept that. Now, I also accept the basis that it's power, right? Because I didn't have the power to leave whereas these other men had power over her cuz they could reject her. Right? I don't know what the hell was going on with that cabinetry, uh, the, the, the dresser, I'll never figure it out. It doesn't matter. And I'll never know because she'll never tell me the truth. I don't ever talk to her again. But I just, I just accept that the people who didn't have to be in my mom's life got the best behavior out of her. Whereas I, who as a child was trapped there, got treated like shit. So, I totally understand that if I get into my mom's life out of a sense of entrapment and obligation, she will once more treat me like shit. Like there's no, like there's no possibility that anything will be different because I had, I don't know, 40 years or 35 years of experience of that, right? Like if you're there because of obligation, she has power over you and she'll, because power corrupts, she'll treat you like shit. But if you don't have to be in her life, then she'll treat you pretty well. 
And so for me, like, I'm the drug that makes her act badly, or rather, to be more specific, power over me is the drug that makes her act badly. I'm actually making her a better person by not being in her life in the same way that you don't enable a drunk and go out and pick up his alcohol and give it to him, and, and right, that just makes him a worse drunk, right? You don't enable that kind of behavior. It's a kindness to my mother for me not to be in her life because she can't handle the power she has over me as a mother, and it turns her into someone she herself hates. She hates herself when she behaves that way. She just, in the same way a drug addict hates himself when when he behaves, uh, takes the drug or whatever, he hates himself and, and hates the per- yeah. person who got the drug and hates the person who gave him the drug. And it's right. It, it's the only chance for my mother to have a decent life is to not have me in her life because she can't handle the power of being a parent. She just makes her into a much worse person. And uh, I, I withhold that drug from her. And it's it really is an act of kindness. And I know that sounds kind of odd, but it is an actual act of kindness because she would not be able to help herself in terms of how she would deal with me because she's just never learned how to handle power. And, uh, I mean, very few of us can, and I, I can't either, which is why I don't do... I'm sorry to talk about myself so much, but we are... The, the question is sort of addiction, and with regards to your parents... Okay, so you've had some... I think we've had some synchronicity in what we've been talking about, and I'm sorry because I've been talking so much, but let's turn no, it back to I, you. I agree. And, and tell me some of the things that, empirically speaking, right, not... I felt like, but, you know, empirically speaking, in, in terms of things you could judge objectively or anyone looking at the situation would see it, what are the things that your parents held as a higher value than you? Hmm. You know, I had an interesting revelation where my mom's cell phone camera broke or something, and I was going through her pictures. And I, and I like to think that people who are, you know, a little bit older, when they take pictures of something, they really find that thing is valuable. And while going through the pictures, you know, I had this stark, like, concrete, holy shit, what she's taking picture of is what she actually values. And it was literally like food that she bought, never made, uh, her nails, like really expensive, like nail art, fingernail art, uh, getting her hair done and like all of her friends, you know, I, I can't remember going through like years of pictures on an SD drive on her cell phone, uh, seeing any of me specifically. I think there was a couple of my sister, but none of me at all. And it was like, wow, like, this is what you value. You know, you, you go out of your way to make a memory of it by taking a picture and I'm not there at all. I get some of this stuff, but you'll, I don't know if, 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 if as men we can pierce this feminine mystery, right. whether it's even a good idea to try. Are you saying she took pictures of food she bought? But didn't Right, make? like restaurant what food. The? Like, cause she didn't, she never made food. You know, one thing that me and my brother have slowly begin to realize is that we were always hungry as kids. And we would eat like garbage, like frozen meals were we thought were the best thing ever because we that's what we ate most of the time Hmm. i remember going through the woods when i was locked out going through the woods thinking i'm pretty sure i saw a stream here and i'm i'm so thirsty yeah yeah the context is pretty rough because it also gives you a lifelong relationship to food that's kind of messed up right you you're yeah. always want to overeat because you like i remember the first time a friend of mine's mother took me to ponderosa with him Ponderosa is like this all-you-could-eat place, all-you-could-eat, all-you-could-drink. 
and I just gorged myself to the point where I felt like a beached whale. Because, you know, when, 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 when food is slim, do you, you ever have this? Like, you, you get feast or famine, man. Yeah. Yeah, I remember uh, one night, um, one morning, me and my brother were spending over at my dad's place. My dad's remarried with basically the mom I wish I had. Our stepmom is wonderful. Uh, and when we woke up, she asked, what would you guys like to eat? And uh, my brother started crying because... Oh man. He had never had someone just openly lovingly offer him to make food. Right. Right. That's uh that's amazing. That's amazing. So it was all frozen food for you guys. And and how old were you when your parents split? Um uh fifteen. 14, 15. And do you remember, was there a precipitating thing like an affair or, or did it just, they just wear each other out? My dad claims that my mom cheated. She denies she it. She denies it. I mean, he tells me that she told him, but I don't, again, I don't know who to believe. Right. And I assume that they hadn't been getting along for some time. No, they, ever since I can remember, they disliked each other. Disliked? Yeah, like hated, like screamed and yelled. How pretty was she? Not. I mean, well, I don't know. It's kind of a hard question because it's your mom, but. I've never seen a really pretty woman. I've never seen a really pretty woman with fancy nails, by the way. Yeah, well, okay. So I think she was, she was not ugly. But she wasn't super attractive. Like a six? I'd say a solid six, yeah. A solid six. Okay. How, how solid? <laughs> Can she fit through a doorway? Know. No, I'm just kidding. All right. Um, <laughs> well, that was and, weird because she ended up losing a ton of weight. You know, my dad complained like, why? You know, I know we're married and we like don't have to try anymore, I guess. But like, can we try to be healthy or something? I think was the, the argument he had. And then. She refused to and gained a lot of weight over a few years. And then within like a year and a half, she lost all of the weight. Like she got super skinny and then started disappearing and spending long nights and golfing with work friends. And then that's when it all sort of fell apart. And then later on, he told wait, me Wait, she lost a lot of weight while she was weight. still married to your dad? Ton of weight, yeah. Yeah, that's probably an affair then, right? Yeah. And I think she was using some some attention deficit disorder drugs that I was prescribed to help her lose the weight. Wait, she was taking your script? Yeah. Yeah, because uh, with Adderall, with amphetamines, you lose appetite. Uh, and I've been described I'm, I'm trying to find something redeeming about your mom. I'm, I'm working, man. I'm, I'm working hard here, but it's like black cat in a coal cellar at midnight underground. Yeah. I'm not finding so, much of a gleam here. An interesting story about the whole, the time I actually snapped my arm and fell off the, the bridge. This didn't take two weeks to find out. The story, every time she told the story to one of her friends, the punchline to the story was the sound my bones uh, made when they were being reset and how it made her feel gross. Like that was the punchline, was not, 
my child is in screaming agony while they reset his broken bones. It was, they made a gross, icky squish sound, and I almost fainted. Oh, man. Well, that's about as honest as you need her to be, right? Unbelievable. How I felt when my son was in agony. Wow. So I'm guessing not much redeeming stuff going on there. No, and I'm not... I'm not blinded by, you know, I'm not fighting to try to build a relationship with her or I'm not really under any spell or, you know, there's almost nothing that she has control of in my life now because. I've... Oh, no, you're under a spell. No, no, no. Let's, let's not fool ourselves oh, about well, that. Yeah. You are under a spell and it's exactly what you talked about at the beginning, right? The uh, Internet yeah. addiction. That's the yeah. spell. Absolutely. Um, how the hell did your mother, your father go from. Bad wife to good wife, you said, praise your stepmom. Like, what happened there? Um, well, I think he went to hell and back himself. He, um, he got extremely depressed. Um, he was living out of his car while commuting to extremely high-end IT project management job. And, uh... And just had a really, really rough time for a long time and somehow, I think, built himself back from the brink of destruction, I guess. I don't I don't really know. Was it a bad I, divorce or like that? Yeah, it was mean? horrible. Like, it like he was completely isolated from the whole family. My mom still had a spell over all of us kids, making us think that the entire problem was his fault. And I'm not confused to think that he participated in the problem. But like she, she whipped up a, a total, total like he is the bad guy. No one, we can't talk to him. He's evil, and so it's a complete isolation from all of his kids. Yeah, it's it's funny. I I don't because I'm not a female. I don't know how it's remotely credible that this is woman who kind of obsessively posts. A, uh, on Facebook, always nagging and, and criticizing and so on. And uh, she claims that she was instrumental in getting me off YouTube or something like that. Anyway, so she was complaining about some guy who just seemed to be wonderful and then turned into a real monster. And I'm like, well, I mean, you chose him. <laughs> this this idea right, that, yeah. that, that this women have no capacity to detect quality from malevolence. But, 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 but yeah, sure, let's give him the vote. They have no idea how to figure out who's a good guy and who's a terrible guy. But uh, yeah, let's let's give them the vote, right? It's all... Yeah, I didn't... I definitely believed it at the time, you know? The big argument was like, why does he care so much about his stuff? Our house was pretty full of junk and like very considerably full of junk and the biggest fights we had as a family were like trying to get rid of his junk that he kept on. And that's part of that value system, which was like, why do you care so much about what we perceive and what seems very objectively a bunch of shit compared to like a relationship with your kids but or just a comfortable and pleasant environment for them to live in yeah yeah or even that yeah exactly right but uh yeah slowly um i've been able to sort of break down and and try to get rid of a lot of the pre-existing relationship patterns that we had me and my dad of how horrible we treated each other and how our value systems were garbage and 
I don't know. Wait, he, sorry, he, how horrible. Sorry, you just you said how horrible we treated each other, and we haven't really talked much about your dad. What what, what do you mean there? Well, we well the whole like I would go out of my way to piss him off just to get his attention was pretty consistent. You know, there was not there's very little respect. There was very little intimate emotional communication. We didn't talk about anything meaningful. I never never talked about very girls little that or I was none. interested in. None. Okay, that's a very, very big difference. Yeah. And I'm sorry, that is a very, very big difference because yeah, it's sort of like the difference between like if somebody's pretending to be blind, but every now and then they catch a, a fly ball. Right. That's a whole lot of difference from they never saw, right? Somebody, it, it's a huge difference, right? Uh, and I just wanted to map that. So, but sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I don't, I, I definitely... I don't know. We had a lot of time around each other, but, you know, I definitely needed more than what he was providing in terms of emotional Can you think connection. of any guidance that he gave you or any words of advice or wisdom or, or insight or anything that he gave you even up to the present? Up to now, yes. There's been some very, very good emotional connection relationship type that we've been building recently. I'm sort of talking up to the point of about maybe two years ago where a lot of old old baggage shed off and we sort of stopped behaving like we used to and he's been very, very helpful to assist me in, in giving me wisdom and, and talking about relationships and talking about career and, and shit like that. But not in cracking this internet thing. No, no, he... We have, I haven't figured out a way to figure it out. And he hasn't, he doesn't have any idea either. Right. I mean, he actually went out of his way to find me my first psychologist. So, you know, cause I was sort of at a loss and I couldn't bring myself to actually go up and sign up to go get a counselor. And he found one for me. Right. Right. And what's the status of things with your mom at the moment? Uh, I don't need to talk to her if I don't want to. There's nothing that she provides that is sort of holding me to forcibly have a relationship with her. Um, I've come out and told her that uh, I feel like I don't have any real connection with you. Every conversation we have is empty and emotionless and I feel like I don't even know who you are um, and yeah I don't I don't know if I even should pursue developing a relationship I sort of come to a conclusion that I remember you saying with your mother where after a certain point in trying you get sort of content with the fact that you're not going to change them or something along those lines. Yeah, okay. So do you mind if we just do a quick role play? Because I'm not getting a strong sense of where your mom is at at the moment. Yeah. All right. So uh, let's just pretend. Uh, so mom, remember you asked me to have a look at your phone because your camera wasn't working? Yeah. So I'm, I certainly didn't mean to scour through everything, but I kind of needed to, to see what was on the phone. And I just kind of noticed in... Looking at your pictures, there's pictures of food, there's pictures of nails, 
your nails. There's pictures of your friends. I don't think I found one picture of me. Can you help me understand that? I'm a little bit at a loss. I'm not saying every picture's got to be of me, but not even in the not even in the background. What's up with that? I, I'm supposed to tell you what I think she would say to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just be her. <laughs> uh, you're not around. Um, I, I'm not good about taking pictures of things. Um, oh, no, know, no. You haven't, no, you haven't okay. come down okay, in mom, a while. Mom, mom, mom. Okay. Don't do that. Okay, don't don't give me this crap. You know, I'm, I'm not saying this with hatred, but it's annoying. Okay? So, first of yeah. all, you say, I'm not around. I am around. I'm around enough that you should have a couple of pictures of me. And second, you say, I'm not good at taking pictures of things. First of all, I'm not a thing. And secondly, there's tons of pictures of things on your phone. I just mentioned a whole bunch of them. So, how about we start again that answer and, you know, just try and not give me this glib nonsense, okay? So... Why do you think that you don't have any pictures of me for years on your phone? There's no way I could get her to admit that she doesn't fucking put time or effort into building or developing a relationship with me. No, but what would she say if I, as you, were to say that? Like, just push back on the nonsense she gave. and it really She would, would blame you it on fit. me. She would blame it on me. This has happened she before. Say? She would say, well, you don't do, you don't put in the effort or something. I remember I confronted her about this, you know, like. Okay, no, no, no. Let's stay with the role play because I need to sort of yeah, get yeah. a sense of, of who she is. Okay. So she'd say, what would she say if I said, but there aren't. Okay, you do take pictures of lots of things and I'm not a thing and I am around. So why, what's, what, what is the real reason or what, what's really going on with there's no pictures of me on the phone? I'm super busy. You don't put in the effort to, to be around. You don't put in the time. So are you saying that me. it's my you fault that for years me. you've not taken a single picture of me? Yeah, that's, that's what she would say. Okay. Well, say, well, help me understand that. How is it my fault that you don't take any pictures of me, even though I am around? I've certainly been around many times over the last couple of years or five years or whatever, right? Why do you think you've never taken a picture of me? You understand it's a little disturbing to me that you've got lots of pictures of your food and your nails and your friends, but not one single picture of your youngest born son. There's a couple of my sister, but not the oldest or the youngest son. Uh, it's a little disturbing to me. And I'm just, you know, maybe there's some reason I can't figure out, but, you know, please don't tell me it's my fault. That's kind of insulting. It's your phone and I'm around and you don't take pictures of me. I don't so know. what's going on? I've definitely never laid it out that that or before. But it is disturbing to you, right? Yeah, it fucking sucks, man. When I first saw that, it was horrible. Right, and I don't mean to diminish the horribleness of it, but it's seriously fucking liberating. You know, your mom ever calls you up and says, I'm lonely. You just say, hey, mom, look at your fucking nails. <laughs> You'll be fine. Yeah. You know, just, just uh, call labor. Uber and get them to deliver what you care about, which is some food. Yep. You can look at the food and you'll be fine because that's what you care about, your nails, your food. 
your hair. You don't need your me. New style of hair. Yeah, you know, just just go to the hairdresser. So you'll be fine, and she will be. Yeah. Because all the bad decisions, you know, that people make. All the bad decisions that people make. I don't need sunscreen. Right? All the bad decisions that people make. They get older, they kick themselves in the ass for it, right? And, Hope so. But it's important to honor those decisions and not You made your bed. You made your bed, you lie in it, right? If you smoke the shit out of your lungs, I'm not donating a lung. Yeah, right. I, I honor your decision. You chose to smoke. I honor your decision. If you chose... To put stupid beauty and vanity and the color of your nails above actually interacting with your children. Hey, man, I honor your decision. It's not the decision I would make. It's not the decision I have made. Yeah. But I honor your decision. I respect what you... I respect the... I don't respect the content of the choices that you made, but I respect the form of the fact that you made choices. Yeah. Right. And you I, are and free to not use sunscreen, but then later, if you get skin cancer, I, I, you know, you take what you want and you pay for it. You didn't have the hassle or expense of sunscreen. Right. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I think about this from time to time, like the thousands of hours I've spent exercising over the years. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there are people who were like, oh man, you know, my bones are thin. It's like, yeah, he sat on the couch. I, I I respect that decision. I respect, and I know it sounds weird because it sounds like I think it was a good decision. I don't mean that. It means I respect your decision. I will not work to interfere with your decision. I will let you accept the consequences of your decision for good or for bad. If people say I spent my money on stupid shit rather than save it, and then, hey, come the pandemic, I'm out of money. It's like, hey, but you had the stupid shit. I didn't. I saved. I'm a saver. I'm not quite a hoarder, but I'm a saver. Hey, man, I respect your decision. You had fun, didn't you? You went to Cabo, and you picked up weird shoes that you never wear, and you got weird, funky, half-tarantula eyelashes that apparently are important in some alternate universe that I don't understand. Hey, I respect that decision. Instead of saving for a condo, you bought shoes. Okay. I, I respect that decision. You got a bunch of shoes. But you don't get the fucking condo too, you understand? Because that's not respecting right, yeah. your decision. Right? You, you took photos you're, of your food. You took... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, you're giving everyone complete responsibility. Like, you're yeah. in charge of your decisions. I, look, I don't... I don't have the power... This it sounds so ridiculous, but it's important for you, right? Yeah. I don't have the power of time travel. Right. Right. If somebody says, Oh shit, I got skin cancer, it's like, what did you ever use sunscreen? Oh no. Okay. Guess what? I can't go back in time and put sunscreen on you 30 years ago. Right. I am obese and my bones are brittle. I might break my shins climbing the stairs that sucks i'm sorry man that's really tough but you made the decision to overeat and you made the decision to not exercise i mean maybe one times out of ten i really like to exercise most of the times 
It's just a stupid thing that you have to do, right? Mm -hmm. And I would love to stuff my face with all the sugary, salty, crappy, fatty crap in the known universe because we're all hardwired for that. But you got to say no. Mm -hmm. So people, like, they, they don't exercise and they overeat like crazy. I... I don't have, like, people that complain about it. It's like, I don't, like, why would you, you're complaining about the decisions you made. I guess I can show some sympathy, but I can't change any. I can't go back in time and tell you to put down the Cheetos and get off the couch 20 years ago when it might have made more of a difference. I can't do that. Now, those people, of course, unfortunately, they run to me and they say, well, you got to pay for my health care or I'm going to have the government throw you in jail, right? Okay, that's kind of an asshole move, right? Because they're not respecting right. my decision to save and exercise and, and hope, you know, eat well and, and all of that, right? They're not respecting those right. decisions. They're just violating all of that and saying, I want, I want, I need, I need, which is the same greed for my money that gave them the fat ass in the first place, right? Mm-hmm. It's the same greed. The greed for calories then transforms into the greed for the unearned my money, right? And, and so, um, like, with regards to your mom, with regards to my mom, I don't have the power to go back in time and make her a halfway decent mother. I just, I don't have that. I can't travel through time. Right. Everything in the past is utterly, completely, and totally unalterable. Now, I know that's a really boring thing to say because, well, of course, but if we really understand that, if we really get that, it's incredibly liberating. You know? Yeah. Would it, like would it, would the... it make sense? Yeah, go ahead. All the all the potential tentacles of oh maybe if this happened or maybe if this was the way it could have gone or all this other garbage that you think about of like trying to hypothesize a better past is is just cut like immediately cut the ties because you know that there's it's not going to change it's not going to change and people will always try and rewrite the past always try to rewrite the past. Yeah. People like bad people will always say, oh, that didn't happen. You misunderstood it. We did the best with the knowledge we had. I had it tougher than you. They always try and rewrite the past. Always try to rewrite the past. Yeah. But let me ask you this. Okay, let me ask you this, right? So let's say that your mom weighed 300 pounds, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't know what is, I have no idea what size dress 300 pounds is, right? But it's not a zero, right? It's not a zero. Yeah. Okay, so let's say your mom is 300 pounds, right? And you want to buy her a dress for her birthday, right? So mm. you go you go to the store and you say, I want a size zero, right? And then you get a size zero and your mom unpacks it, holds it up, and maybe it could she could wear it on one of her arms, right? But she sure as hell can't wear it on her bloated torso, right? Right. Now, how would your mother perceive you giving her a size zero dress when she's 300 pounds? She, she thinks I want her to be skinnier. Well, she'd be really angry and offended and upset and what are you trying to tell me and you know how much this yeah. hurts me and like all this stuff, right? Right. See, now that's an example of how destructive it is to deny the simple fucking empiricism of history, which is that your mom didn't exercise, and overate like crazy. Right. Right? So you showing up with a size zero dress is like you pretending to love someone who hurt you. You're denying the empiricism of past decisions in the present. The empiricism of the past decisions to not 
exercise and to eat too much means she's 300 pounds. Now, if she had ate well and exercised, she might be a size zero, right? Or a size two or whatever, right? Whatever, whatever size, it doesn't really matter, but less than 300 pounds, right? So if you show up and pretend to like someone who hurt you, that's exactly the same as showing up with a size zero dress for someone who's 300 pounds. In other words, you're saying, okay, I'm going to pretend in the present that you didn't make all the shitty decisions you made in the past. So you show up with a size zero and you're saying, I'm going to pretend that you didn't overeat and under-exercise for 20 years. I'm going to pretend you made better decisions in the past, even though the empirical evidence in the past and the present is incontrovertible, like you're overweight, right? You're obese. Mm -hmm. So showing up with affection to people who've harmed you, exploited you, abused you, ignored you, neglected you, particularly parents, showing up with pretend affection to people who've harmed you is as great a denial of the choices of history as showing up with a size zero dress to a woman who's 300 pounds. Yeah, you're just lying. You're just lying to yourself. You're just lying to everyone. It's so real. It's unreal. It's so bizarre. It seems common. I don't want to diminish the fact that <laughs> it's, I participate, it's, it's but it seems common. common. Yeah. It's massively common. <laughs> It's massively common. It's uh, this is the this kind of boils down to a, a piece of why I think I got into the the internet addiction in the first place, and that was like I was escaping from the reality. I was buying a smaller dress for the fat, obese catastrophe that was my neglect and parental relationships. Okay, so I now I think we get to escaping. Yeah. yeah, I think there's some of that for sure, and and obviously my opinions are not any kind of facts, right? I'm just telling you my particular right. thoughts, right? So, fundamental problem that men have, which is, if you don't want the life your father had, you have a huge job ahead of you. Now. How old was your father when he divorced your mom? Uh, 55. 50, Holy shit. Yeah, something like that. Holy shit. Not the youngest so, dad well, on the planet. He, yeah, he had me when he was 40. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I sympathize. <laughs> I can relate, yeah. man. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay, so, so 55 is like almost 35 years from now for you, right? Yeah. So your dad fucked everything up until he was 55, right? I guess that's the story, yeah. No, I'm, tell me if I'm wrong. Tell me if I'm wrong. I don't mean that challengingly. Like, you dare tell me. No, no, like, no. honestly, correct yeah, yeah, me yeah. if I'm wrong. So fucked everything up as having just, like, picked the wrong partner and not had a functioning relationship with child or partner or his wife. I don't count, make, I don't count making a couple of bucks or even more than a couple of bucks as anything to do with success. Fucking Howard Hughes was one of the richest men on the planet, and he walked around with 14-inch fingernails with his feet in fucking Kleenex boxes, okay? And, and yeah. bottling his own urine. So <laughs> being wealthy, I mean, look at Bill Gates, for God's sakes. Or, or look at, what, Steve Jobs, didn't he deny cancer treatments because he thought fruit would cure him? I mean, the, 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 the money doesn't mean <laughs> shit. Right. You know, Ella Fitzgerald was pretty well off, and she still ate so much and didn't exercise, they had to cut her legs off. Jesus. Mm -hmm. um, wealth is far from a marker of sanity or happiness. 
Jeff Bezos got divorced. Uh, it's happening all over all the time, right? Fucking so Paul McCartney married, married the one-legged wonder who took him for hundreds of millions of dollars. <laughs> uh, right. uh, well, Ringo Starr was just about one of the worst husbands in the known universe. Guy was wealthy, popular, beyond things we could, we could conceive of. So, yeah, right. if he made some money, okay, so what? He still ended up living in a car, right? So he, he fucked everything up, as far as I can tell, until at least 55, and then, you know, it took him a couple of years after the divorce. And so finally, when he's pushing 60, he marries a decent woman, right? Yep. Oh, right? Okay. So, and again, I'm not trying to impose a view upon you. I'm perfectly happy to be corrected. But a man who chooses a terrible wife, a terrible mother for his children, who doesn't even notice that his son has a pretty wicked wrist fracture, who doesn't get a wake-up call that your son was walking around with chipped bones for two weeks in the house, right? A, a guy who, who hoards, a guy who has a huge bitter fight because his wife threw out some shitty old magazines he never was going to read anyway, let's be frank. Most people who hoard never end up using that shit at all. Yep. And ignored his kids. I mean, you tell me a great decision that your dad made before he was 55, and I'm happy to hear it. I mean, I genuinely, I would really be overjoyed to hear it. One line he tells me is that he stayed married because he thought that getting divorced earlier would have been worse for us as kids. He thought about getting diver divorced earlier when we were younger, and he thought that trying to make as much stability as he could manage for as long as he could was was arguably better than getting divorced when we were younger. Total bullshit, man. I'm so sorry. Uh, I really don't want to sound like I've downed your dad, but total bullshit. Here's the thing. So if you're going to say, well, I'm going to stay married for the sake of stability, then have a stable fucking marriage. Right. Don't have some low-rent trailer park trash head scream fest. Right? Mm -hmm. If you're going to stay together for the sake of the kids, for stability, then have a stable marriage. Don't scream at your wife because she threw out some shitty old magazines. That's not good. That's not creating stability for your children. And if he's really interested in doing what's good for the children, why the hell did he have his nose deep in computer screens and magazines instead of interacting with his kids? Well, I did what I did for the sake of the children. Really? Then why are you screaming at your wife? And why are you ignoring your children? No, no. That's uh, that's some retroactive excuse bullshit. Yeah, I And didn't it really probably buy has it. something to do with generating guilt or, or obligation in you. Yeah, could be. Because if he had succeeded in his goal, he wouldn't have fought as much with his wife and he'd have spent more time with his kids. But well, if the was, magazines that's... and the hoarding and the fighting were more important than his kids, he can't say, well, you see, I stayed married for the sake of the children because my children's needs were so important to me. Sorry, go ahead. That's still one of the biggest arguments that we have to this date is like, how did you fuck up so bad picking her? You know, because like we have in-depth conversations of all of the horrible things and how poorly she treated him and us. And I'm like, you picked her. 
out of okay. I don't know why let me, I let me, let me talk to you. Let me talk to your dad. You. Let me hang on. Let me talk to your dad if you don't mind, because yeah. I, I need to get a map of this person too, right? Okay. Totally. So if you, if me as you, were to say to your dad, okay, dad, we talked a lot of shit about mom, and I get that, and she did some bad stuff and all of that. But why did you ignore us so much? Why did you have your nose in computer screens and 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 magazines and and all of this kind of crap instead of spending time with us as kids? He would blame her. He he would say, oh, she pushed me so hard to make more money that I had to work all the time. And then I would say, and just, just role play him, it's a little easier, right? And then I would say, yep. but dad, that's not what I said. So some of the computer stuff you were doing had nothing to do with work. I know that for a fact. And the fact that you had your nose in magazines and, and other things meant that you weren't... Like, I can't remember much time when you spent playing with me as a kid. Now, you can't blame mom for all of that. You had some sovereign decisions in the damn house, right? I mean, you got to take some ownership for the stuff, right? I mean, looking back, was it that important to read another web page or another magazine rather than play with, with me? Yeah, he's he would go... um. Yeah, you know, I, I did what I could. Uh, my dad grew up without a dad, and he was really bad at showing me how to how to behave. And I didn't, I didn't, I thought I was doing an okay job. Wait, you know, hang on. So your worse. dad, your your dad was not particularly involved with you. His father, he's used this. No, no, just be him. Before. Just be him. Just don't don't oh, keep jumping yeah. in and out of him. Just be him. Sorry. Yeah, my dad was was basically never around at all, and that really didn't give me a good example of how to behave. So, no, he did, though. He did give you a great example of how to behave. Do you know what I mean by that, Dad? Yeah, do the opposite, yeah. Yeah. Be around. Yeah. So your dad, because it hurt you, right, that it was unpleasant and difficult, and he hurt you by not being around, so he told you exactly how to be a good dad wouldn't you say? Because, I mean, you've made that connection, right? I mean, you, you come up with this connection not like some big revelation, but something you've known forever, right? So yeah. your dad was not around, so you knew exactly what to do, so why the hell wouldn't you do it? Why wouldn't you sit there and say, well, it really hurt me that my dad wasn't around, so I better get my nose out of a magazine and spend time with my kids? Well, I, I was around a little bit. You know, we, we did a lot of Boy Scout stuff. I, I did a lot of that. I didn't say you weren't around at all, Dad. So you're not dealing with what I'm talking about. But you were very distracted as a father. And you did prioritize a whole bunch of things other than me. I think that's fair to say, right? He used to bring his laptop to wrestling meets. So he'd be like sitting in the stands, still on the computer. And would he say that was work? Yeah. Right. Still working. Right. Now, the fact that mom wanted you to make more money, was that my fault? And the fact that you let her push you around that way, was that my fault? No. Were those good decisions on your part, looking back? Seems clearly not. 
Well, what do you mean seems clearly not? I mean, I'm asking you man to man, right? No. So why did you make those decisions? And again, I'm not like, oh, I need you to cry or anything. I'm just, I'm genuinely, because, you know, your dad's decisions have a big impact on you. Your decisions have a big impact on me. So why did you make those decisions? I need to know that because I'm a lot younger than you were when you made decisions you don't agree with now in the past, right? They're, they're, they're long behind you, but they're still way ahead of me. And that's the gift I need from you. I desperately need this gift, which is, okay, what thinking led you to make those bad decisions so that I don't make those bad decisions? Because I don't know why you made those decisions, Dad. I don't know why everything seemed almost always more important than me. But if I know that, we can break this cycle. Because right now, I'm not heading in any direction in life where I'm going to get a girlfriend, a fiancé, get married, be a dad. That's because I desperately, desperately don't want the life that you had, Dad. It doesn't mean I think you're a bad person. I'm just like, I mean, you don't want that life, which is why you left mom, right? You didn't want the life you had. I don't want the life you had. What you have now is much better, but I can't wait till I'm 60. Right. So that's what I need to know is why. Why did you make those decisions? And not from a punishment standpoint, but just from a, I need to know. Because I'm paralyzed in life because I don't want what you had, but I don't know how to not end up that way. And you could release me from my paralysis by telling me exactly how you ended up that way. And that way I'll know what to avoid. You know, if, if you know where the landmines are, you can dance your way across the field. But if you don't, you don't even want to walk on it at all. And that's me with adulthood, man. I, I don't want to, I'm locked in screens because I don't want to set foot on something that could blow my fucking leg off. Yep. So yeah, why? it's an escape. Go ahead. It's, it's, it's almost like the lack of action, you know, it's, it's stagnation. You just, n- you don't change. No, it's not you stagnation. It's paralysis. So let's go back yeah. to your dad. Dad, why yep. did you make the decisions you made to avoid your kids? What were you really avoiding? It wasn't me. But what were you avoiding? Just avoiding mom, avoiding her. No, because if you had know. spent more time with me, that wouldn't have been the end of the world for mom. She wouldn't have nagged you and belittled you for spending more time with me. I don't know. Why were the magazines more important than me? You don't know what his answer is? Okay, but that's the issue, right? You don't know what his answer is. I'm not saying I know. I don't know, right? But that's the answer you need. Yeah, you mapped it out very, very well. You're on hold, right? Because you don't know where the airport is, so you've got no place to land. But you're running out of fuel. 
to extend the analogy, right? Which is why you're yeah. calling me, right? Because so, yep. you're, you're on hold. And listen, you are not alone at all in this situation. That's why I'm spending so much time and energy on this conversation, partly because I care about you as a human being, but partly because this is scarcely a singular phenomenon to you. This is hundreds of millions of young men across the Western fucking world. Yeah. You don't want the life your father's had, but you don't know how they ended up that way. You know, every time I sort of pursue him and like bug him, it's like how, if she was so crazy and so bad, right? How did you not figure out before you decided to have three kids with her? Right. And if the answer that you're giving me is I couldn't, then what the hell am right. I supposed to do with that? You just can't figure out that someone's going to ruin your whole life. You just right. don't know. Right. Right. That's exactly why pornography is easier than women, because women apparently are these ticking time bombs that nobody can figure out ahead of time and they just blow your fucking life up. So, of course, it's easier to masturbate than it is to go and pursue and get involved with a woman. Of course it is. Because yeah. nobody's being honest about the red flags. Nobody's saying to you, okay, look out for this, 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 and this. And I merrily jumped into all of those red flags. I was a good Right, I idiot. told him this. Yeah? I told him this before. Every time I bring up like girls that I'm either interested in or talking to or whatever, trying to build a relationship with, it's like... You know, at the end of the day, I really can't take your advice because of how horribly you did in the past. You know, I can't get over the fact that you basically caused one of the worst things to happen to me. Right. Like, <laughs> am I supposed to gonna be like, oh, yeah, no, let me hear what you have to say about this girl that I'm talking to. And statistically, uh, you're going to have to deal with your mom 10 years after your dad is dead. So you get if you I mean, if you stick with this relationship or whatever the hell you want to call it with your mom. He, he at least, he can divorce her and he can just get the fuck out through a grave, but you're still dealing with her because she's going to outlive him statistically, right? Yeah, and he doesn't have to talk to her ever again. Like, she... Right. Yeah. Right. So you're yeah. left with his mess. And you don't know why he chose her. And because you don't know why he chose her, on the other side of a big open field is called marriage and fatherhood, and you know that there are landmines and, and your generation and my generation, we saw our fathers get blown the fuck up. In family courts, in lawsuits, in threats, in bullying, in horrible allegations thrown out by the women. And I'm sure it's happened the other way too, but I'm just talking about the son's perspective of the father, right? Yeah. You seriously don't want that life, right? Absolutely you, not. Right, right, right. Screens are easier than screams, right? Yeah, much easier, at least in the short term. Uh, right. Ask me in 20 years if nothing changes, if I would have preferred this over that. Who knows? Well, but you're calling in for another option, right? Another option, which yeah. is, okay, you either end up with a horrible scream fest hellscape of a marriage with a woman who belittles you and cheats on you, it dumps you in a car to get on with your life living under a fucking bridge or yeah. it's living in the basement porn and 
digital distractions until one morning you just wake up and say, what the fuck am I doing on this planet and why on earth would I bother getting out of bed? Yeah, and that's sort of my language for the severity of my options, you know, like I, I laid yes, out two is. things that it's like, well, now what? If like that's what I'm looking at, right? If those are the options that currently in my view, it's like, do I have a very high dose psilocybin trip? You know, there's some some evidence to suggest that people have, you know, positive experiences from doing psychedelics but and or no you're to, hoping this this bullshit about this 20 years of therapy in one night no it's not yeah that's no it's yeah. not no it's not there's no shortcuts everybody wants a shortcut right your mom wanted a shortcut hey i need to lose weight i'll take my son's adhd meds i mean right. yeah right so your father, I can tell you why he married your mother. Please. Okay. Your father married your mother because that's all he thought he was worth. It's nothing more simple, nothing more complicated than that. That's all he thought. I remember a guy I know, I met him in my first uh, programming gig. A guy I know, actually, he ended up inviting me to the volleyball tournament, the volleyball team that I ended up meeting my wife at. So I'm forever grateful for that. <laughs> but he said, uh, he said, yeah, I, I married, uh, I married the first woman who was willing to have sex with me. He told you that? He admitted that? Yeah, yeah. Wow. He was a pretty frank guy, <laughs> pretty honest guy. <laughs> yeah, I could tell. Way, right. And. Because I mean I don't I can't speak for his state of mind, but I you know that's all he thought he was. Oh, somebody's gonna have sex with me. Okay, I'll marry her. And why? Yeah. Because no one else is gonna come along. Nobody else will choose me. And that's partly because he also told me like, oh yeah, I grew up super wealthy, and you know if somebody stole my bike or my bike got dinged, I just they just buy me another bike. Just but I was so lonely, it was ridiculous, right? So yeah. So your father believed that she was the best he could do. He couldn't upgrade past her. That's all he was worth. Somebody walks, somebody phones you up tomorrow and says, hey man, I want to I wanna give you a job watching YouTube videos for $100,000 a year. What would you say? $100,000 sounds pretty good, man. No, you'd sit there and say, ah, you know what? Make it 120 and maybe we have a deal. You'd be like, 100,000 <laughs> yeah. bucks a year for watching YouTube videos. I'm in, right? Yeah. Because you wouldn't, you, you don't, you wouldn't feel like you could negotiate for anything better, right? Because that's pretty right. good, right? Yeah, that's, that's your perceived value. Right. So if you don't believe that you can do better, you will accept what you get. Yeah. Right. And this is why actors have agents, because actors are just happy to do the damn job, but agents will negotiate on their behalf, usually, right? Right. And so your father married your mother because that's all he thought he was worth. He couldn't do better. A bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. Or a bush in the hand is worth two in the <laughs> nightclub. I don't know, right? But, <laughs> right? That's and so he married her. And he had children with her because he thought, well, 
This is the best I could like this is the best I could do. If I don't get her, I have to go with someone much worse. Fatter, uglier, stupider, meaner, whatever, right? This is the very yeah. best that I could do. You know, if, if you're freezing to death in some frigid post-Titanic Arctic freezer hell of an ocean, and some boat comes along and it's not a very it's kind of rusty. Do you sit there and say, I, I'm going to wait for a nicer boat? Like, yeah, those seats aren't padded. I'll take the next one. Yeah, I'll take the next one. What, no lattes? Are you yeah, kidding come me? On. I'm going to wait for the latte. <laughs> I'm going to wait for the Starbucks boat to come along because I like a nice latte, right? Yeah, you're telling me you don't have soy milk? Sorry. Yeah, yeah, I've put me back in the ocean, man. I'm, I'm not going to slum it. <laughs> I've <Yeah>. got standards, <laughs> right? Yeah, who do you think? No, I seriously. <laughs> but that's if you're in a situation of that kind of desperation. Yep. Like a, a guy I was working with up north, he didn't bring his water. And he, he drank from some moose tracks. I'm like, <laughs> like, I don't know. I'm not, a, I'm not exactly Jack London wow. out here, but I'm pretty sure that's not a good idea. And, of course, yeah. he got sick as, a, sick as a dog, right? Right, yeah. I don't need any water for purification tablets. I, th- I think you might. Okay. Yeah. Right? To be airlifted out to the uh, hospital. I think... I think that perspective of of that he had, you know, he couldn't do better whether because he didn't think he was valuable or not, or that sort of general self-worth. Uh, I've struggled with recently going through No More Mr. Nice Guy, the book by uh, uh, Glover. I think his name's like uh, Donald Glover or something. And um, that's really made me realize and, and, and understand that, like, I think that passed down to me if, if he had it as well for making the decisions he did with choosing my mom and not someone better because he didn't think so. It's like a lot of my own my own behaviors and actions have been sort of putting aside my own self-worth and not genuinely think I'm valuable. Right. And of course, as a child, you were treated as somebody who had negative value. As you said, and I heard this from the very beginning. This is why we're here, right? Because you said, I had to bug the shit out of my father to get any attention, and my mother thought I was a pain in the ass, right? Yeah. So if you have negative value, you have no negotiation. You have nothing to negotiate with. Any more than the guy freezing his ass off in the Arctic Ocean three minutes from death has no negotiation when it comes to which boat he picks, right? Right, yeah. It's a boat, so, but this boat will ruin your life. Well, yes, but otherwise, my, my options are having a life in a bad boat that might ruin my life or dying. Yeah. Right, so you were treated as somebody with negative value, as somebody who was an irritant, a pain in the ass, an annoyance, right? A, a stumbling yep. block on your parents' ever-skipping joy to happiness, right? So you were somebody who had negative value, right? So then anybody who treats you well, well, shit, that's the only boat that's going to come along. Right. Neediness. Right. So what you do then is you say to the kids in your school, do you know what you say to them? What? Well, I will give you value by teaching you how to change your grades. (laughs) Yeah. 
Yeah, that was now, that I, definitely now I have value cool to you, right? A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Now I have value to you, right? And Part that's why club. you did that because because you experienced yourself or did as a negative, and therefore, in order to even reach equilibrium with someone else, you got to bring way more to the table. Like I don't know if you ever did watch, and you can find it on my various video channels, but the show I did on Robin Williams, the Me Plus. Right. Well, Robin Williams couldn't just be himself. He had to be himself plus manic jokes to have value. Mm. Right. Yeah. And your mom can't just be herself. She has to be herself plus a new hairdo and funky nails. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, that manifest in high school as well, where I was, uh, I was sort of the act, the showman. I never felt that people were with me. I was always being loud and obnoxious and sort of yep. the, here, poke this kid. He'll do something funny. Right, right, right. No, I completely yep. understand it. I completely understand it. We've all been there, most of us in this conversation. Not everyone, of course, but most of us yeah. in the world, most of us. In the, we've all been there where, why choose me? It's the fundamental question in life. Why is someone going to choose me? Out of all of the people in the world, why is a woman going to choose me? If my parents didn't, right? If if not, yeah. my parents didn't even think that I was valuable. How the hell right. am I find a stranger who is? Right, right. If the people who chose to have me and care for me and protect me and feed me and shelter me, if those people thought I was a hassle and a negative, how on earth is someone possibly going to find me of great value you know that's actually one of the reasons why my last relationship failed is because i i genuinely couldn't believe that she thought i was valuable oh that's not one of the reasons well god yeah i know that's the reason yeah right because if someone genuinely loves you and finds value in you that means your parents were assholes. Yep. I'll tell you a story. It's a very brief one. But it'll hit you like a hammer. Are you ready? I think so. A girl turns 18. Her father shows her a car he's never shown her before. It's an old car. And he says, uh, go down to the car dealership, used car dealership, and uh, get, get an appraisal on the car. She takes the car down to the used car dealership. She comes back. Father says, what did they say? She says, I don't know. They say, like, it's pretty old. Like, it's a pretty old car. Like, maybe, maybe two grand. They maybe give us two grand for it or whatever, right? And he says, okay, okay. Um, take it down to the wrecking yard and ask how much they'll give you for this car. So she takes the car down to the wrecking yard, you know, where they squish the car into boxes, whatever. And she says, oh man, they comes back and she says, like, it's pretty rusty and, and they give you like, I don't know, 500 bucks for it or whatever, right? And he says, okay, take this car down to the Classic Car Collectors Club and tell me what they say. So she takes the car down to the Classic Collector's Car Club comes back and she says, holy shit. 
Sorry, Dad, I didn't mean to swear. But they say this thing's worth over $100,000. Because it's a spider Alfa Romeo from 1962. Only 70 of them were made, and it's incredibly rare and really treasured and valued. And it's a collector's item. And she said, well, why would you have me go through this? Tell me what the father said. Valuable to somebody. You just have to find the right somebody. Well, they have to know what the hell they're looking at. Yeah. Right? They have to know what... You've probably heard these millions of stories. Oh, that we had a, we had a picture hanging in the living room for 20 years until we found out it was a rare Jackson Pollock worth a million dollars. Right? Right. They just didn't know. We just thought it was a spatter. We thought some kid did it. Okay, Jackson Pollock was about the disassembly of human perceptions, but that's neither here nor there. Everybody, you know, it's an antique, right? Uh-huh. And your value is not determined by the junkyard. It's not determined by the used car lot. It's determined by people who know what the hell they're looking at. If you know your car is worth $100,000 and someone says, oh, this old piece of junk, it's only worth 500 bucks. What do you think of that person? Not very highly, especially if you know that it's not worth that much. No, you know it's worth $100,000. Yeah. And this guy says, oh, that piece of junk, I gave you 500 bucks for it. What do you think of that person? Take a hike, man. I don't need you. Well, you're just stupid, uninformed. You don't know what you're yeah. talking about, right? Okay, yep. so do you get what this is about, right? Your parents looked at you, and what did they see? They saw their own emptiness. They saw their own inadequacy. They saw their own avoidance. They saw their own unlivingness. They saw their own coldness. And when they looked at you, they saw what they were not capable of doing, which was of connecting to anyone at any time. And that's why I asked for the role play with your parents. Can they connect? Can they be honest? No. If you have a child in the house and you cannot connect with that child, you feel like shit. And you want to bury yourself in computers and magazines because you are avoiding your own cowardice in the face of connection. Your child needs you. Your child is a hostage of nature. You can't or won't connect with that child. Well, you always can, right? But you choose not to connect with that child. They weren't avoiding right. you. They were avoiding their own inadequacies. You said something like uh, last week where you know the current situation of every one of your daughter's friendships and relationships. And you can tell if she comes home when she's upset. You can notice when her mood changes. And just hearing that type of relationship with a child is just so unheard of. I do, I'm not even reactionary. I'm like, how's this relationship going? How's that relationship going? What, did they text you back? And, and you know, how's it going? And, and did they keep their last commitment? Of course. Of course. She can't. I don't want her to invent all this stuff on her own. That would be horrible. Well, that would be you and I. <laughs> we don't want that, right? <laughs> right. Just do like a cursory own... comparison between mm -hmm. like that 
description of your relationship with your daughter and like what I had with my parents just awful to think about right how far away my relationship was is and also you're having a very real conversation with me is this hard work yeah no it's not is it hard work for you it's is emotionally it like, oh my difficult God. but hard work no. it's challenging yeah it's challenging yeah. like it wouldn't want it to be boring right but it's yeah. not like but it's not oh like it's God, impossible I have no idea what to right? say next yeah, well, listen, yeah. you're doing fantastically. You're doing fantastically. And this is an incredible thing, right? Because, I mean, I'm not too way off from your father's age, right? And so mm -hmm. you are having a deep and meaningful conversation with an older man when you had a father who avoided anything meaningful with you, like the plague. So it's like you grew up in a household that never spoke Japanese, and here you are speaking fluent Japanese. It's incredible. Yeah, they could have done it. He could have done it. No, you know how to do it even though it never happened. Right. It's incredible. That's your value, man, right there. Yeah. You're able to speak fluent Japanese having heard a couple of podcasts where people speak Japanese. That's, that's brilliant. That's <laughs> genius, man. You understand? <laughs> yeah. I'll tell Good you a story teacher, about my dad. When I went to go and visit my dad when I was 16, I think, in Africa. Oh, man, he was just not there emotionally. He took me on this hike for a couple of days. And he was like, because he hiked for a living, right? He was out in the bush all the time as a geologist. And he would, he would be like way up the mountain because he was kind of impatient. I wasn't a super fit kid. No, I was 15. I think around 16 or 17, I joined the cross-country team and, and 16. And so I swim team. And I, but I was not super fit back then. And, mm -hmm. or even mildly fit. And so I would be, we'd be hiking up this mountain and he'd just be so far ahead. And I'm sitting there going, like, what the hell am I doing here? Why, why am I here in this mountain in Africa with this guy? I don't really know him because my parents divorced before I, I think before I was six months old. And where's he going? And I remember being super thirsty, right? Because I'm not used to this kind of temperature. I'm not used to this kind of height this altitude. Uh -huh. I was really thirsty. And my dad said, oh, just, just suck on a pebble. It will produce saliva. You'll be fine. It's like, you know, that's not a net input, right? <laughs> Producing saliva and then swallowing my saliva doesn't quench my thirst. Right. Because there's no new liquid being added to the situation here, right? <laughs> and... He, I don't know, we, had, we didn't talk about anything. We couldn't talk about anything. I remember he was working and I wandered off into the jungle and I made little stones with arrows so I could find my way back. And like he had this 15-year-old kid wandering around a jungle in Africa. Who knows what the hell could have been out there, right? He didn't know, didn't care. Or maybe he cared. I have no way of knowing, right? He had me go up on top of his roof of his garage and sand it and paint it and all that because he needed that job done, right? And... yeah. And I remember he had to go off to the bush for a couple of days. And you know how people ask, hey, you don't, you don't really want to come along, do you? I mean, it's not much for you to do out there. And I'm like, okay, so he doesn't want me there. I'm like, no, and I've got some letters to write, you know, like whatever it is I could say. Like, like I couldn't do that in a, a little 
they had he, he roamed around this tiny little RV or whatever, right, to do some of his geological work and all that. And it was a yeah, pretty terrible trip. No conversations, no connections. Uh, he just constantly made up stupid, useless, menial tasks for me to do. And, and it was, you know, it was bad. It was bad. Anyway, many years later, I'm on a bus ride with him from Toronto to Montreal for circumstances that don't really matter right now. And he tells me this story. And he does tell me that time that you came to visit me in Africa, I was so depressed I could barely function. He was. He was, right? That's what yeah. he told me, right? And yes, he had some significant, like, hospitalized depression issues. And that's sort of my big, my big lesson. The big lesson I got out of that is, so from 15, it was probably close to seven years until he told me this stuff. And why didn't he, why didn't he say, listen, I, I'm having trouble talking to you because I'm really depressed. It's not your fault. Right. Like in the, in the bus, in the bus, in my early twenties, when he told me this, I started crying because it was a weight off my mind. And I'm, I'm grateful to him for having done that. It was good for him to tell me that because, of course, when uh -huh. you're a kid, you think, well, my father doesn't really pay any attention to me. He doesn't seem to be interested in me. He's not curious about me. And I was a pretty interesting kid. It's not like I suddenly became interesting when I became a public figure. I mean, I mean, I'm interesting throughout my life. I mean, at that age, I'd already written half a novel. I'd already written a couple of plays. I'd, you know, I was pretty good at Dungeons and Dragons. And, you know, like I, I was interesting. <laughs> uh, I was starting to get into philosophy uh, pretty heavily. So I was a very interesting uh, child. And, but of course, what, you, what do you do? Do you sit there and say, well, my father is a junkyard dealer looking at a $100,000 car and saying this thing, you'll have to pay me to take it off your hands because you don't want to think that your father has no fucking clue what quality is. Because that's terrifying. Right. But your father rejected you and chose your mom. Yeah. What does that tell you? So it's like you take this $100,000 car to the junk dealership and they say, well, we'll give you 500 bucks for it. And then somebody comes with a rusty old sieve and they say, oh, that I'll give you $5,000 for that. Like not only do they not know what quality is, they think that shit is quality. Yep. So your father rejected you and chose your mom. Yeah. So that has no reflection on your value. In fact, that he chose your mom and rejected you means that you are massively valuable. Because he thought your mom was valuable enough to marry and pay and have three kids with. Tells you what right. his judgment is. If you decided is, right? to do that with her based on her behavior and her personality... Like, right. Damn. Right. So you understand, he had to stay away from you because you revealed him. I don't. I don't even know what the word is. I completely went blank here. Not not because I can't think of a word. I don't even know what the word. I was going to say a fool. Yeah. But that's much worse than a fool. I don't know what the word is. Hypocrite. I don't know. No, it's not, it, it, because a hypocrite it could be a one-time thing. It may not be that, like a complete reversal of values, where he, he valued your mom and disavowed you, so to speak, right? Right. I don't know. I don't know if you're in the chat, whether anyone could tell that word. I don't have a screen up in front of me, because 
The last thing I wanted to do was to be looking at a screen when talking about your addiction, just so you know, I'm not looking at a screen here. Right, because <laughs> I want to make sure we keep the human element here, right? So Absolutely. I don't know what the word is, but a complete inversal of all values, the opposite. He's this right. opposite of good judgment. It's catastrophic judgment. So you can't, being rejected by your father is a sign of your value. It's a weird thing, right? Why did my father not tell me he was depressed when I was 15? Why did he let me carry that burden that I was uninteresting for so long? Because if my father had had an honest connection with me when I was 15, what would I have told him? Do you know? No. Well, you weren't listening then. <laughs> I mean this in a friendly <laughs> way, right? Sorry. Because what was what, my mother doing? Oh, you, you would, he you would have told him all about the problems you had with your mom. The problems I have with my mom? <laughs> a, oh, did your mom uh, ever come in and intercept uh, that sorry. language? A, a criminally under description. No, I... <laughs> <laughs> the yeah. problems. Yeah, I, I, you know, I have a couple yeah. of issues with my mom. Yeah, <laughs> the fact that she's dangerous yeah, and violent yeah. and throws knives and, you know. And, and also, yeah. at this point in my life, my mother had already been institutionalized. I apologize for... No, so no, it's, it's fine. Under... I get it. That's, just, that's yeah. just your mom stepping in, right? It's just your mom stepping in and saying, minimize this shit because I don't want to get caught in the splash damage, right? Well, that's always what's crazy is like, whenever I, I get to a level of intimate communication with someone and I begin to start what feels like the right language in depicting my experiences with my parents and always just you blanked out there right I mean when I was saying what would I have told my dad because you knew exactly I mean yeah. it's the moment I mentioned it right you blanked out yeah. there because that was a long pause yeah. and then I thought well maybe he thinks it's a rhetorical question Sorry, and then yeah. I asked you directly and then you really Sorry. blanked out and then you minimized right and this is this is not because of me and my dad this is because of you and your dad right so yeah my dad could not have had an honest conversation with me in a million years and never did because yeah. because he then would have found out or I would have told him that my mother was violent that my mother was losing her mind, that my mother had been institutionalized and that I was pretty much on the verge here. I think it was very shortly after this trip that I started paying my own bills because my mom just completely lost it. I, we got roommates and the whole, there was a whole thing, right? I had three jobs. Stopped paying. So my father, did he want to know that he'd left me with a dangerous and violent woman who had abused me for many years. Did he There's want no to know way. that consciously? No. Oh, no. Absolutely not. <laughs> absolutely not. Yep. yep. So he couldn't be interested in me because he had wronged me. And when you wrong people, you can't be curious about them because it provokes massive guilt. Right. 
your father wronged you, your mother wronged you, therefore they couldn't be curious about them, not because you're not interesting, but because they had sinned against you and didn't want their conscience provoked. Which is why in the role plays, I specifically targeted their capacity for empathy. These are my feelings. This is my experience. What happened? I said to your father, this is what I need from you, dad, to escape the grip of the screens. Yep. And did he say, I will move heaven and earth to get you that information? No. No, he just blanked out. Yep. I said to your mom, I'm disturbed. I'm upset by no photos of me on the phone. I would. I really need an answer. And then she tried this bullshit of, it's your fault and... I just don't take photos of things, right? When the old point was that you took photos of lots of, right? So she like when you express a need to both of your parents, a desperate need, mom, explain to me why I'm not on your phone. And dad, please yep. help me understand why you made your decisions. These are the things that I desperately need from you. They completely blanked out, right? Yeah. The time I'm now, then demanding you, them to sort of explain their value structure and why I'm not in it. You No, whatever need you have, it could be anything. Right, yeah. Whatever need you have, they will not respond to it. Because if they'd had the capacity to respond to it, you wouldn't have those needs at all. You understand? It is the very needs that make the response impossible. Your father should have sat down and explained the living shit out of all of his decisions as soon as he possibly could. You shouldn't have to beg him in your early 20s to explain his colossal fuck-ups. Yep. He should be volunteering that information out of love, compassion, and empathy for you. Yeah. And there's a... it. The conversation that you pointed out with your dad reminds me of like a, a, a blueprint that you have in real-time relationships of like how to help build those types of relationships it's like tell people your emotions and your feelings as soon as they arise and and like be as open as possible and not in a blaming way right don't say you're the reason why i'm pissed it's like well i'm feeling this way and and let's talk about let's try to figure out why i'm feeling this way yeah listen so i mean i've had some obviously some emotions when i've been talking to you but i'm very clear that it's not you right Like, if I was annoyed or frustrated, I'd say I'm annoyed or frustrated. I'm not playing. I can't believe you didn't tell me the first story when it was only a fracture that it was, you said it was a, you liar, it was a break. It, like, like, anyway, I'm just telling you this. I wanted your sympathy, Stefan. I need. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you get it, right? And you get it. Yeah. Now, imagine this. Imagine that, and I'm sorry, I don't mean to be talking about my dad, right? Because I'm not trying to make this about me, but I imagine, because right. there's got to be a parallel with your dad, I assume, right? So imagine if my mm-hmm. dad had said, I'm depressed. And I had shown compassion and empathy towards him. Mm-hmm. Imagine how incredibly difficult for him that would have been. That the child he abandoned to a violent, a destructive woman showed great tenderness and compassion towards him. Yeah. <sighs> Ouchies. Ouchies. Infinite ouchies, right? Yeah, and that's what you're you're saying is he's avoiding. He's avoiding that pain of realizing that his child could provide the empathy that he wasn't providing. Yeah, he basically was avoiding 
two things. Number one, the pain that he'd inflicted upon me. And number two, because he would say to himself deep down, well, I inflicted pain because I was hurt, right? But if I had had compassion to him despite him having hurt me, he would have lost that excuse, do you see? Right. <laughs> That'd be crazy. That'd be such a crazy and, thing. And I would have been able so to do painful. it at the age so painful, and I would have been able to do it at the age of 15 what he couldn't do at the age of 45 or 50 or 55 or whenever the hell that was, right? Right. So yeah. he would have been I mean, mastered give, by a child. Yeah, and it'd give him even more reason to, to feel poorly. It's like, this is the type of child that I abandoned, someone who can provide value like this, someone who can, at 15, right. be empathetic. Right. Right. Yeah. So you have a deep heart and a deep mind and your parents were not avoiding you because you lacked value. They were avoiding you because you had value that exposed their lack of value. In other words, they avoided you like a thief avoids a camera. Yeah. They avoided you like a counterfeiter avoids a counterfeit detection machine. They avoided you like a liar avoids the truth. Ouch. You were born in a junkyard and you're a collector's item. And you got to get to where people know the value that you have. But right now, you think that the junkyard is the whole world. No one's ever going to see your value. So just fritter and waste the hours, right? There's nowhere to go. There's no better place. There's no place where you're treasured. There's no place where you'll be understood. There's no place where you'll be valued. And you're also, the minds are in your mind. Because if you're valued, your parents will lose you. Because you'll see the difference. You'll experience the difference. You'll understand the difference. So your parents need you to stay in the junkyard. Because if you're out there and you're valued, you'll realize that the world is not a junkyard. Just that shitty corner is. And you don't have to stay there at all. And there's a whole beautiful, glorious world out here where you can love and be loved, value and be valued. Be honored and respected for the treasure that you are and what you bring to the world. But you've got to get out of the junkyard and they don't want you to leave. Because you understand, they stayed in the junkyard their whole life because they think the whole world is a junkyard, but it's not. And if you get out, then what is normal to them becomes shitty. And they don't want that at all. They need you to believe the whole world is a junkyard so you never escape and get to a better place because then they'll look back and say, oof, we could have done that at his age. We didn't need the last 40 years. The whole world isn't a junkyard. There's beauty and virtue and integrity out there.
we all want to protect our parents. And living a much better life than your parents is very painful to them. And very often, we will sacrifice ourself on the altar of our parents' bad decisions so they are not hurt by their own corruption. And I know with my own mother, or I believe with my own mother, and probably with my own father too, that they're torn. Part of them is incredibly hurt by the wonderful marriage, the great parenting, the great friendships that I have. And another part of them is like, thank God you got out. It's too late for us. We can't make it. We're stuck. We're chained. We're blinded. We have become the junkyard. We can't get out any more than the crushed up car could roll away of its own choice. We can't get out, but thank fucking God you got out. Thank God you did escape. It hurts us that you're out. But deep down, we're so glad you didn't get stuck here. The vampires thus, in a way, half prefer the one who gets away and gets to see the sun again. And I assume that similar things may be the case with your family. Yeah. <clears throat> but it fundamentally doesn't matter what they think. What matters is what you want out of your life. Because you ha look, they've had their life. They've made their choices. But your choices are still ahead of you. And you must choose what is best for yourself. And to hell with the people who made bad choices. You can't be imprisoned by the mistakes of the past. Or you'll end up no better off than they are. And that is scarcely progress. That was awesome. And you, your, your loyalty is to your best possible self. Your loyalty is to everything in your potentiality. Everything that you could be, everything that you can be, everything that you can provide to the world. You chaining yourself to decaying bodies in a remote junkyard is not helping the fucking planet. And it sure as hell isn't helping you. And you weren't responsible for any of that. You weren't responsible for where you were born. You weren't responsible and aren't responsible for how people treated you. What you are responsible for now is breaking out of these dead-eyed screens and going out and living a fucking life. Making mistakes. Falling in love. Getting bruised. Winning. Losing. Living! Because the screens is a mirror of paralysis. I don't know how to live, so I'll just distract myself until I'm dead. Yep. But out beautiful beyond the book. screens is a beautiful world. Out beyond the screens is a beautiful world that needs you. And 
you need to be out there showing people what's possible. Yeah. And the moment that you accept your own value, the screens lose their allure. Because when you're simply consuming other people's content, you are erasing yourself from the face of the world. Memes I found on Reddit is not going to make the world a better place if all you do is watch it. But to go and create something and produce something, many things, is adding to the value of the world. But merely consuming artistically or intellectually, it's like being on welfare. You're consuming without producing. And that decays your sense of value. Because your parents fundamentally want you to end up living to confirm that they were right. And that's the fundamental battle. Is my potential correct or were my parents correct? Do I have massive value or am I an annoyance and an irritant? Am I a bad-smelling, unshaven, badly dressed with holes in his pants, 14-year-old kid? <laughs> right. Or yeah. am I an epoch-spanning philosopher with great wisdom to bring to the world? Were, is my mother right? Or my father right? Or my friends? When I was young, who didn't think me of much consequence? Are the people who think little of me right? Or is my potential right? I chose my potential. Which is why I regret nothing. I regret nothing. I celebrate and champion what I did and what I do. Fuck the smallness. Fuck the pettiness, the inconsequentiality. If you hide from history, you just end up being hunted by history. We got to go out there and make it or they'll come for us and they won't be kind. Yeah. I, I can't compete, obviously, with your eloquence and ability to put meaningful, meaningful wisdom out like that. It's just, I thank you for, for talking to me and doing what you do. Please don't stop doing this. I'm not going to stop. Um, and I'm, I'm sensing the landing gear of the conversation <laughs> opening up underneath the cabin here, which is totally fine with me. Uh, is yeah. there anything else that you wanted to mention or how was the conversation for you uh, as a whole? How did it strike you or hit you? Is there anything else that you wanted to bring up at the moment? Uh, no, it's, it's great. I mean, just bringing the reality and the, the concreteness to pointing out the, the reasons for why I, I don't feel valuable or, or the relationship I had with my parents and what that really meant. And, and sort of, uh, knowing and you reminding me that I'm not alone in this battle. Those were all extremely important points. Okay. Uh, good. Yeah. You have Thank a you. huge amount to offer the world, man. You have a massive amount to offer the world. And Thank you. I sure would hate to see it go to waste. And you will too, obviously, even more than me, much more than me. <laughs> but 
Yeah. Yeah. If if yeah. we if we if we judge our thoughts by the incomprehension of dumb people, we'll never feel smart. Right. And if we judge our paintings by the indifference of the blind, we will never feel like we've created beauty. If we judge our music by the indifference of the deaf, we will never know the symphonies we've made. Do not judge yourself by the petty-minded or you'll end up joining them and the fire yeah. of you will be put wow. out. Not even by a heavy wind or a, thaw- a storm. It'll just peter out for slow lack of oxygen and just yeah, trust I can't that you have a massive amount to bring to the world. And will, will you keep I me posted mean... about how it's going? Oh, unless he's already gone. Hello? All right. I'm not sure if he did or not, but it seems like a fairly good place to wind down. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to the show, for supporting what it is that I do. I hugely appreciate it. Freedomain.com forward slash donate. Love you guys so much. And thank you so much to this caller. I'm sorry if you didn't catch that last bit, but uh, I will talk to you soon. Freedomain.com forward slash donate. Have a great evening. I'll talk to you soon. Take care.